in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. This is Mitch Moe. And this is Dallin. Guys, welcome back into the Sports Hour. It is good to be here. It is a Wednesday afternoon, and we are pumped. We're we're excited. We're ready to go, right, Mitch? Oh, my God. It's Wednesday, my dudes. Second best day of the week. Wednesday is second best day of the week. And what's the best day of the week? Well, Friday, because that's the weekend and, and you're off and you're and it's the beginning of the weekend, right? Friday. Right. But what about Saturday, though? Well, Saturday okay. is the actual day off. You know, Friday is just the anticipation of day off. Sure. Well, I, I think I think that the anticipation of being off and the excitement of it's the weekend trumps the actual day off. Now that. So is an interesting take. I'm, I I think Saturday, oh, okay, Saturday, best second best day of the week, right? Sunday, the Lord's Day, of course, it has to be up there, right? But Wednesday is like we're on the back half of this. Like it's all downhill from here. Where we, mm. the Friday's in sight, Saturday's in sight. We're on the back side of the hill. Yeah. So maybe Wednesday's the fourth best day of the week. At, yeah, depending but, on how you feel about a Sunday. But yes, I'm with you yes. there. I, you know, I kind of feel you on the Friday thing. The anticipation of the weekend oftentimes is better than what you actually do with your time off uh, anyways, right? So, right. Uh, yeah. wow. Okay, interesting take. I didn't expect that one, but are Saturdays overrated? Saturdays are not for the boys. Saturdays are overrated. Well, is that what you're sa- saying, Mitch? No, no, absolutely not. Saturdays are always for the boys. Saturdays are, okay. Saturdays are great. Right. Saturdays, college football. I mean, how can you beat that? We're going to be talking right, about that today. Right. We got the campus tour again. You know, Saturdays are awesome. I'm just saying that Fridays, like sometimes it's like uh, it's like foreplay. You know, it's just right. like the excitement yeah. of getting to the goal, like getting to the end goal is is quite titillating. I have to say yeah, it's quite titillating. True. Well, so. uh, if it's anything like my real life, then I'm not making it to the weekend. So uh, oh, Mitch, no. let's jump in. Oh, no. <laughs> That was a shock. Sorry, that was a sorry, shocking admission by now. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't. I couldn't help myself. All right. I'm sorry. Jiminy Christmas kid. <laughs> oh man, we're having a we're gonna have a good time, Mitch. Oh, uh, this is gonna be a good. Vibes are good right now. Vibes are good. Strong. Uh, Mitch, we've got um, yeah, we got the campus tour. You mentioned it. We got some news. Uh, the return of the weekly Kraken update NHL oh, season. We boy. gotta talk about our guys who are, hey, playing pretty well. We'll get into it, but a uh, nice start to the second year of the Seattle Kraken uh, campus tour. And then on the back half, NFL. 
we'll do our NFL superlatives as we like to do for our week 10 update, quick picks. And Mitch, it's got a top five for the folks. So fun podcast ahead. And uh, I say, let's not waste any more time. Let's, let's jump into this with the news. Yeah. Let's jump right into it. Let's get into the news notes around the world of sports. Let's get into the news. All righty. Rousing start. Rousing start. Yes. All right. Vibes Mitch, are high. Let, the vibes. Uh, yeah, we're the vibes are high right now. I'm, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. Vibes were high this past weekend in the NFL. Mitch, we'll start with some NFL news as uh, the league played its first regular season game in Germany this past weekend. The Munich game. Uh, we may talk about it on the back half as we get into the week 10 recap, but. I just want to talk about this uh, international game as it is, as we said, the first time they played a regular season game in Germany. It was a jam-packed stadium. It was a great game. Uh, You had the viral moment of uh, the whole stadium in Germany singing uh, John Denver, take me home country road. I mean, it was just like you, you saw the international reach of American culture and the NFL and what it has become on a global scale. And we've seen the success from the London games. They play three, four games a year in the UK. We'll have the Mexico city game coming up on Monday night. And now Germany added to the mix. I I think it's fun times with what the NFL is doing. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how you felt about uh, the, the Munich game. This is so great for the sport of football. Football is, by and large, a a an American sport. Um, It doesn't have the international appeal like soccer or baseball or basketball does, right? It, It is kind of, for the most part, a purely American sport. But it's really nice to see how the NFL reaches international levels and i think that maybe that was something as nfl fans we kind of um had the blind you know had the cloth pulled over our eyes for that and we weren't really aware of how much support for the nfl there is outside of 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 america so um this is really fun to see they go to these stadiums and people in germany people in england mexico city you know they they're they're all in on the product and they're all in on the game and their fans and it's really fun to watch and I mean I, I I think this is just a great move that the NFL has been doing over the last decade or so and you know emphasizing we got to get into markets outside of the United States and um, growing the game kind of kind of what David Stern was you know and and FIBA has done with basketball growing the game internationally mm-hmm. and this is this is really, really a, a fun time, I think, for the NFL on an international standpoint to see how far they can spread this game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in this past week, the NFL's head of UK and Europe also mentioned that uh, both Spain and France are, quote, very much on our radar when it comes to hosting future games. Uh, and I thought that that was interesting as we talk about what's next, right? Germany, big landmark, and they will continue to play games in Germany. The the plan, I think, over the next three or four years is to continue to play at least one game in Germany. Uh, but as was announced 
what last uh, last December. We talked about this on the podcast at the time, but these uh, granted international home marketing areas, the NFL announced 18 NFL clubs got essentially an international home market. A they could stake a claim on an inter international market for the league. And part of that allows those teams to play one home game a year in their international home market. So, for example, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, their home market is the United Kingdom and has been, uh, obviously, they've been one of the four teams at the forefront of the NFL playing in the UK. And they have a current agreement to play at Wembley Stadium. They play one home game a year in London. They have for uh, a couple of years now. But. The uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are one of the teams that has rights in Germany. They just played a home game in Germany and could choose to do so every year, right, for the foreseeable future. That's part of these home marketing areas. We look at Spain, Mitch, the Miami Dolphins, and your Chicago Bears are the two teams that have these home marketing, uh, th that zone uh, for themselves. So in theory, your Chicago Bears could be playing a home game every year in Barcelona or Madrid or wherever uh, they end up being able to play. I think it's a really interesting concept. It obviously expands beyond those. We can get into some of the other markets, but what are your thoughts on that? And uh, do you like this? Do you like the NFL doing this? I I really do. And and just a little fun fact, the Chicago Bears have two home markets, I, I will add. They they are also in the UK. So I will oh, say that, okay, yeah. that that yeah. we can play in England or Spain. I love this. Right. And I and I think that when we talked about NFL expansion, that's been in talks for for years now, right? It, it, any league is always talking about expanding, and so it's always going to be a part of the conversation. I prefer this, I think, over putting a team in Europe permanently, like you know, London having a team, or Munich having a team, or Barcelona having a team. I I think I prefer this, and purely based off the the logistics of it, right? It 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 doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a Barcelona team to travel outside of the United States to go play eight or nine games in the you know stateside. It, it it that's just a big cost for a team. But I love the idea of establishing home markets for uh for teams over here in the U.S. That they can go and spread games. And I think that it's a good idea that teams have multiple home markets, right? Like I just mentioned, the Bears. They can go play in the UK. They can go play in Spain. Um, and, you know, and alternate the years that they're there. Or you, I don't know, fucking play two of them. You know, it, it's a, it's a do one at the beginning of the year, do one at the end of the year. It's a fun idea. It's a really good idea to continue to grow the sport. And I love the idea of of establishing these markets outside of the country and, and continuing to grow the sport. Yeah. I, you know, I think the idea of an NFL Europe division, right. Full-time franchises in London, in Munich and wherever else, I think it's a fun idea, but I don't think it's realistic. And I've always sort of just questioned whether that could just realistically exist when you talk about the cost and the logistics of having uh, NFL franchises across the Atlantic Ocean. It's just not feasible. So uh, this is much more feasible and allows for these home markets to develop fandom with a specific team, look forward to that team hosting a home game every year in their towns, in their city, in their country, and be able to become fans of those NFL franchises. 
uh, some of the other markets just to talk about uh, some of the other international markets that have already been announced. Uh, so Germany has, uh, as we mentioned, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the New England Patriots, Kansas City Chiefs, and Carolina Panthers are also part of the Germany market. Uh, as well in Europe, Spain, as we mentioned, Chicago Bears, Miami Dolphins, the UK, Jacksonville, Chicago, Miami, Minnesota, New York Jets, San Francisco 49ers. Uh, the Rams have both China and Australia as their international markets, which is fascinating. Uh, the Australia one, I think, really piques our interest definitely more than others. Um, sure. Brazil, Miami Dolphins have Brazil. Another one I think is really interesting. And then Mexico has a ton. Arizona, Dallas, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, Las Vegas, Los Angeles Rams, Pittsburgh Steelers, San Francisco 49ers, Canada, uh, belonging to Minnesota and Seattle. So uh, that's only 18 NFL clubs. So not every club has a, a home international market. And eventually, I guess the assumption is that there would be one for everybody uh, shared, uh, surely. But I think I like this idea. And we, we talked about this. You mentioned it. I do think this is a better idea than having an NFL Europe division. As cool as that idea might be, it's just unrealistic. And I think the NFL is doing a great job of this. Love to see where they continue to expand uh, these international games. Yeah, if they were going to do a, a, a NFL Europe, it would have to be like the old NFL Europe. You know, like there was the kind of an NFL sanctioned thing, but it was their own separate league. You know, like that's that's the right. way they would have to do it. I think that teams outside of the U.S. are still plausible. Like team in Canada, team in Mexico, like logistically sure. that yeah, makes yeah. much more sense. But, you know, yeah, um, yeah I. I would love to see a game played in Australia. I would love to see. I we mentioned I mentioned this to you before the podcast that y'all Aussie football is a real thing. Like it's kind of a cross between the you know the United States football and rugby. I would love to see Aussie rules football. You know, the U.S. host a game of that and Australia host a U.S. football game. I yeah. think that would be a cool um, cross international swap. Yeah. That would be fun. So, you know, it, it, the, the, the possibilities are endless with this. And and I hope that all 32 NFL teams get a get a um, international market here in the new future where they can they can continue to grow their brand and grow the NFL brand and the game um, in a way that would be beneficial for any everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very exciting stuff. And uh, look forward to, again, the, the final international game, I believe, is this week. Uh, this Monday night game in Mexico City. We'll look forward to that and uh, what uh, the NFL has planned in the future. Let's jump over to the NBA, Mitch. We don't have many, we don't have like big news with the NBA, but we did want to just take a look at the standings of where things sit as we are a few weeks into the season, about 14, 15 games, depending on the team, uh, somewhere in that range. So uh, we're talking, you know, a fifth of the season, more or less, uh, just the beginnings of the season. But uh, some things standing out <laughs> early in this NBA season to me, first off, and uh, I know they've lost three straight, but I mean, it's definitely been the Utah Jazz uh, who are 10 and six on the season, third best record in the Western Conference. And again, they're losers of three straight. So before that point, they were the first team to double digit wins. Uh, they've been one of the best, most competitive teams in the NBA. And let me tell you, that nobody saw this coming fans here in Utah are just like, don't know what to do with themselves. Cause they've been preparing all off season for the eventual departure of Gobert and Mitchell 
for this. We have to tank for women. Yama. It's okay to be bad. Uh, you know, embrace the suck. Like the fans were ready. Fans were ready to lose. And then they started off the season winning and fans were like, well, now what do we do? I thought we were supposed to lose. Now we're winning. Are we, do we want to be good? Like, is it good for us to be good? I, it's, been, it's been a weird time. Uh, I think they'll come back down to earth as the season progresses. I don't think they're like a, I mean, maybe, maybe a play in tournament team, but not like a strong playoff contender, but this team is clearly talented. And it just goes to show Mitch, when you put together rosters like this, and I tell this to people here a lot when they ask me my thoughts on the Jazz. I bring up that Brooklyn Nets team from a couple years ago. The D'Angelo Russell, uh, you know, Jarrett Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Kenny Atkinson's the coach, right? And it was just a bunch of misfits, outcasts. Nobody cared about that team. Nobody expected them to do good. They didn't have a star. They didn't have some, you know, uh, great, great player but they won games and they ended up in the playoffs and they were scrappy and they were competitive. And I think that that is the destiny of this Utah jazz team this year. That's what it seems like. They've got talent and they've got depth. They just don't have superstars. They don't have top tier talent. So they're going to be in a lot of games. They won't be able to close a lot of games because they don't have that guy, but uh, they're going to be around. And I mean, they might make the playoffs. Who knows? You know, you've seen crazier things, but this was certainly one of the most unexpected things so far this season. It, it Yeah. And I, like you said, it's early. It's still really, really early. And, you know, but the hot start for the Jazz was absolutely something that I didn't expect. I, I want to stay in the Western Conference as a team that has gotten hot as of late and a team that we talked about as maybe a, a, a play-in game team. Uh, the Sacramento Kings are winners of four straight, seven and six yeah. right now. And um, they've played exceptionally well over the last week and a half or so. A team that, you know, maybe we thought would like just kind of stay around that middle part of that bottom half and float around and get in. Like, they're sitting in the eighth seed right now. And so they've been impressive over the last week and a half. And I'm kind of excited to see. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see if they can, you know, maintain that kind of 500 level ball and put themselves into a playing game situation. But there's also a really disappointing team out of the West as well. And, and uh, uh, a, a team that we did not think would be winless on the road right now. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about the Warriors for a second. I do want to give some thoughts on the Kings. Uh, Cause I'm okay. glad you shouted them out and shout out. Uh, you're welcome, Jordan. Uh, you're welcome, Jordan Fox, for that. The, uh, you know, uh, the, the, <laughs> gotcha, the Kings fan here. Uh, you know, we got you here. They put up 153 points on the Nets last night uh, on Tuesday night in their win uh, over Brooklyn, uh, who also looks like a disappointment. Big shocker there. Uh, but, um, I mean, Sacramento's looking good. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is continuing to improve. It looks like a, a, a bonafide all-star guard. Sabonis, you know, they traded for him last year. and took some time to sort of build this thing, but uh, yeah, perhaps they've found something this season that puts them in that playoff. Uh, they certainly need it. Uh, they have the longest playoff drought, I think of any professional sports. In, in, so, in American sports right now, they have the longest playoff. Drought, yeah. So. so it's about damn time, uh, but uh, shout out Sacramento. Hopefully they can keep it up. But as you mentioned, it's the warriors, the defending NBA champions. Uh, they're six and eight to start this season. And, They've looked pretty uninspiring at times, and I, I, I'm not necessarily worried about this because, as you pointed out uh, when referring to the Jazz, it is early in the season, and we do this every year. Some teams start hot, some teams start bad, and 
by the end of the year, they flip, they flip flop. And it's just how it goes, but just something, uh, you know, to, to kind of think about, you know, hungry, you know, they, they, this team was hung. We didn't expect them. And yes, this was a winning franchise that had won all those championships, but they had been a couple of years since they'd been at the top, right? They, they battle injuries. They were not healthy. They went through a new look. Uh, and last year, I think there was a level of hunger that they played with because they were still, they were unexpected again. Right. And they were at the top for so long. And then last year, nobody really expected, nobody was really picking the Warriors to win the NBA title last year before the season. They really, really weren't. So now though, they're back at the top, Mitch, now they're back at the top and they're the top dogs again. And everybody knows, okay, now we, we really got to watch out for the Warriors and, does that affect how this season plays out for them? I don't know. Again, still early, but I think something that now I'm just kind of keeping in the back of my mind. I think that I, I, I can really see this being a transition year for the Warriors where they make the playoffs. Maybe it's like a five seed, four seed. Um, I know I picked them to be in the NBA finals against the Milwaukee Bucks, but I, I could see this being a really big transition year for him because there's a there's a guy on this team right now that has really emerged himself as a as a really premier score a a guy that's played exceptionally well and that's Jordan Poole he's yeah. really taken that leap um i even just look back to their to was it la, was it last night's game two nights ago's game against San Antonio 36 points in 29 minutes I mean, this guy is is emerging as a, as a premier player in this league. And so I could see them being successful, turning this thing around. But it might be a little bit of a transition year where this young talent starts to take on a little bit more of a role than the established talent of Steph Curry and Draymond Green. Um, Kevin Looney's been there for a long time. I could see a I could see a a transition period for them as this year while still being successful. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it plays out for the Warriors. Certainly not the start they would have hoped for. One more team to mention, Mitch. Uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are an embarrassment, and I am ashamed to be a Lakers fan. Uh, we the how? Why did they extend Rob fucking Palinka after a losing record for two straight years? Is beyond me. Uh, and it's embarrassing to be a Lakers fan. Uh, we we are hopeless at this point. I think they need to do they need to do they need to do a lot in LA. But I think it's in the best interest of the Lakers, the best interest of LeBron James if the Lakers trade LeBron James. Just get him out of here. Just get I think, we're, we're not we're not getting anywhere close to a championship. He's we're not. Look, he's he's at this point in the way. And I think that you just and I, I never thought I'd say that about LeBron James, but at this point you can't keep like just suck, just suck and get a lottery pick. You're already, already doing stuck. it, and you're already doing it. But like get get well, off yeah. the money, get off the money, well, the and problem, just the pr- and just and just you. deal up. Yeah, I'm with you. The problem is, Mitch, is they owe their first round pick to the New Orleans Pelicans. They will not even get – they're going to end up with a shitty record in a top-five pick that they won't even select themselves because they owe it to the Pelicans in the Anthony Davis trade. So, yes, in fact, you should trade LeBron because you need draft capital because, as you said, you need to suck and rebuild this thing, and you can't even rely on your own draft capital to bail you out in this situation because you don't own your own pick. So 
yes, clearly the Lakers are not contending. Clearly this is not a contending roster and not a franchise that is in a win-now mode. And LeBron James is too old to be just sticking around in L.A. I mean, he must like it here, obviously. Like, he wanted to be in L.A. for a reason. Like, my my only thought to all of this is just where would he want to go, realistically? Where would he really want to go play that would actually be able to trade for him at this point in his career, you know? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, if he likes L.A., I, what about the Clippers? If the Lakers traded LeBron James to the Clippers, I would quit my fandom and I would call for Jeannie Buss's head. I, I would be, that would be the Fair enough. most, that would be the dumbest. I would rather suck for the next decade than trade them the greatest player of all time. I'm not going to do it, Mitch. I'm not going to fucking do it. And well, then what are out. your ideas? What are your ideas then? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Again, it, I, I'm with you that they should think about moving on from LeBron at this point. And honestly, anybody on this fucking roster that has some value, but I just don't know who I can like and would trade for LeBron James at this point. And where would he want to go? I, I like that you feel the pain with the Lakers the same way I feel with the Bears. I kind of like, I kind of get a sick enjoyment out of this that I'm you like, you do like that. You're uh, just like, <laughs> recognize you suck and you don't know what to do. Like I, yeah. I, I reckon I, I kind of get a sick enjoyment out of that, but. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's uh, sadistic I'll always of have you, that but... 2020 championship in my heart and the bald mama oh, and Rajon Rondo. And uh, I'll always have that to soothe me through these dark times. Uh, you act you act like that's the only championship they've ever won. They've, they're, they've oh, won wait, more championships. Except for, yeah, except for all five of the other ones I saw in my lifetime. Sorry, I yeah, forgot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dork? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, Mitch, let's go to our weekly Kraken update. The boys are back and the hockey season's underway. And Mitch, our Kraken are, they're doing all right. Eight, five and three to start the season. That's eight wins, five loss, three overtime loss. Still worth the point. 19 points on the season. That's third in the Pacific Division behind the Golden Knights and the LA Kings. It's fifth total in the Western Conference behind the Dallas Stars tied with Winnipeg. So top five in the Western Conference to start the year, Mitch, and the Kraken are making it happen. And this is this is what you want to see from this young squad. Second year in existence, still just finding the right pieces in in to, to fit onto this team. But uh, this is certainly an encouraging start through 16 games. Very, very encouraging. I know that we talked about it's a process. Hang with it. Stick with it. If you're listening to the podcast, you're clearly a list a fan of the Seattle Kraken. I mean, you have to be. Obviously. Um, but uh, no, this is this is this is good. This is really good that we 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 seem to have started to build upon the young talent that we had. Got the talent from the uh, expansion draft. Shane Wright not playing a whole lot right now. Yeah. Um, which I'm cool with. Like that, just that let, was the, let the yeah, guy build. Mm-hmm. That was the fourth, the, the number four overall selection in the rookie draft. This was, uh, th- this is our guy. He's going to be the future, uh, right? He's the next, he's the next great thing. We're all in on it. Uh, but uh, yeah, he hasn't played much, right? I think just like eight minutes so far this season, or maybe more than that. I, I take that maybe he's averaging eight a game, but he's not playing a ton, but that's okay because the team's winning without having to rely on this young kid, which is a good sign for the franchise. He could come along in his own, in his own time. 
Yeah, you know, if if Seattle has a legend already, it's probably Jordan Eberle. Shane Wright is the next Jordan Eberle. So yeah, I like, yeah. Uh, he's my guy. Or it's Brandon Tanev, our favorite. Uh, oh, we do love Brandon Tanev. Uh, yes, I I love that in 2022 he repeated. Uh, I don't know if you saw this on their social media though. They posted. Uh, he did like an even more egregious like open <laughs> eye photo. <laughs> Just I, but uh, you know, just kind of leaning into what happened last, which I just love when you lean into the meme. Uh, so we love that guy too. But yeah, Kraken playing well again, eight, five, and three uh, to start the year. Very encouraging. We'll uh, you know we'll keep track. We'll update throughout the season as we did last year with how the Kraken are doing. And you know maybe it's an NHL playoffs for us this year. Who knows? We're just Who knows? We're along for the ride. If they make a playoffs, I am buying a Seattle Kraken jersey. And I'm 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 just repping it I'm all in. the way through the play. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. We'll 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 rock it. NASCAR update for the folks. Season's over, but uh, it's silly season in the world of NASCAR. So you've got some updates for us. Yeah, just some quick stuff. Um, Joe Gibbs has announced that Ty Gibbs, uh, this last year's Xfinity Series champion, will race full time in the Cup Series in 2023. Um, he will be driving number 54 Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. The number the 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 this was expected, right? The, after the Kyle Busch departure, we expected Joe Gibbs to accelerate Ty Gibbs's uh, descent into the Cup Series. He was said, you know, in, in the past that Ty Gibbs needs to run another year in Xfinity before he comes up to the Cup Series. Well, that we figured after Bush left, this was going to be accelerated a little bit. So Ty Gibbs will run full-time in the Cup Series in the 54. Um, the most interesting part um, is that the number 18 will not be utilized in 2023. Oh. The number 18 will be out of circulation uh, for the first time since 1991. Uh, the 18 wow. car will not be uh, on the track. They still do own the rights to that number. They have the charter to that number. So they do plan to reintroduce the 18 at a later date, probably 2024 is what I would imagine that happens once they find a filler for that. Um, But yeah, Ty Gibbs will go full-time racing in 2023 for Joe Gibbs um, coming off of his Xfinity series championship. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, anticipated, we sort of discussed this a few months ago, right? With the impending moves, uh, but now sort of coming, coming official and uh, we'll see him in the, uh, in the cup series next year. That, yeah, absolutely. Um, one other bit of silly season news, and this was another one that was speculated a lot about, but it, it, it kind of came to fruition very quickly over the last few days, but Ryan priest will be driving the number 41 car for Stuart Haas racing um, in 2023 on a full-time basis. That means that Cole Custer, who has been the driver of the, number 41 car since 2019 um, is out. He does not have a ride. Uh, Ryan priest, who is actually a reserve driver for Stuart Haas racing, had a lot of success in the truck and Xfinity series on a part-time basis um, showed a lot of promises. This guy is a, he's a former modified series champion um, has won races at the Xfinity and truck series level. He's kind of getting a second chance at life at 32 year old, uh, you know, it a 32 year old coming into this uh, this new venture at Stuart Haas Racing. So Ryan Priest getting a second opportunity at life in the Cup Series, driving it full time for the 41 team. Okay, you love to say, hey, America loves a comeback story. We do. You know? it, it, kid's talented, man. He just didn't get good rights last time around. Yeah. You know, so 
this will be this will be a good opportunity for him to really showcase like really showcase what he's uh, capable of doing. We saw great stuff from him in the modified series. Like I said, he's a former champion of that. Won a ton of races. Kid's got talent. He just got to be in a good ride, and uh, he's getting that opportunity yeah. now with Stuart Haas. So. Yeah, I love that, Mitch. Uh, I also love that as a uh, 29-year-old man, you just called that 32-year-old man a kid. But uh, you know, I just love the synonymous. You just refer to everybody as kid. I lo- listen. We all do it. I just, I just loved that. I, I mean, that. I, I still think I'm a kid at heart. So why not? <laughs> Kids got talent. 32. <laughs> Kids got, got talent. <laughs> I love it. Sorry, grown man's it. got talent. All right, whatever. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Mitch, uh, let's uh, transition over to the campus tour. Let's start our week 11 recap, Mitch, in the Pac-12, where we had chaos this weekend. I just want to start here by saying I like to toot my own horn here on the podcast. In fact, it's basically why I do the podcast is just to be able to, you know, talk about all the times I've been right. That's that's the only reason why we do this. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm just saying. Oh, humble Dallin over here. <laughs> I'm just saying. In my picks last week, I told you the Pac-12 will cannibalize itself. It'll be chaos, and they're not going to make the college football playoff because they just are going to shoot themselves in the foot. And what do we see last week, Mitch? We saw Washington upset number six Oregon in Eugene in a big shocker i mean not one to me because i picked the huskies but a big shocker to everybody else and then i think almost more i mean definitely more shocking maybe has less implications but it definitely more surprising was number uh number 12 ucla falling to arizona to the wildcats who were three and six coming into this game on the road and Jaden delora the former Washington State uh, Cougar leads Arizona to a 34-28 upset over the UCLA Bruins, Mitch. Uh, with this Pac-12 chaos this week, um, I'll, 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 I'll let you answer this first. Who had the worst loss? Which which one is the worst loss? Maybe this is easy. I don't maybe I don't think it's that easy, but maybe it's easy to you. Which one of these do you think was the worst loss? Depends on how you define worse. Because, like, was it worse in the instance of you shouldn't have lost this team by any means whatsoever and you lost, or was it worse in, in, you know, in the scenario of it has just killed your chances at making the college football playoffs. <laughs> so in that instance, it's Oregon In the other instance, it's UCLA. I'm going to yep. say UCLA is worse though. I, I, I think Fair. that, I think that th- there's, they have no business losing to Arizona. This should have been a cakewalk for them. This should have instantly boosted them into the top 10. And they squandered it. They squandered it. They lose to a bad team. Um, at least Oregon lost to a good Washington team. Like, yep. at least it, like at least like there was some scenario, multiple you know, of some scenarios that Washington beats Oregon. There was no scenario Arizona should beat UCLA, and it happened. So for that it, for that reason, I got to go. UCLA was by far the worst loss, I think. I I think I'm with you, Mitch, because, listen, Oregon being number six in the country, they were the highest ranked Pac-12 school. They had the best path of that conference to make it to the college football playoff. And, uh, you know, you could almost argue outside of anybody in that top four because their only loss was to Georgia. So, you know, had they gone 
you know, that they right. won out the rest of the way and that's the only loss on their resume, they're surely in the playoff. But at the same time, as you mentioned, UCLA should have never lost to Arizona ever at home. And UCLA would have been the 10th ranked team in the college football playoff rankings heading into this week. Utah sneaks into 10 and we'll get into the rankings later, but Utah sneaks into 10, but UCLA was ranked ahead of them. They would have been number 10 and it would have set up a top 10 matchup with USC this week that could have done you a lot of good in securing your chances of making the college football playoff. So the path was still there for the Bruins had they won, but as you know, as a result of this loss, you can count UCLA out of it uh, as far as the college football playoff goes. Now they still have a shot at the PAC 12 championship game. They could win that, go to the Rose bowl, have a good season, but uh, you know, any slimmer of hope for the college football playoff there is gone. And and maybe for Oregon, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out for the ducks. Uh, perhaps they uh, maybe have a shot, but uh, man, just two brutal losses for the PAC 12 uh, this past weekend. And I think another good point too, is like Oregon, has all year and historically speaking always has a very good offense and a very poor defense. And we know how good Washington's offense can be led by Michael Penix jr. We know how potent that offense can be. So like a 25 over six should be shocking. I don't know if it was that shocking in this instance, like Oregon still put up the points, but you know, Washington just had a really good offensive game against a very pedestrian Oregon defense, which I guess just, bolsters the argument for UCLA this was an embarrassment for him yeah and and credit needs to go to the Huskies here too because as you mentioned uh, I mean they're a really good team they put over 500 yards of total offense in this game Michael Penix threw for 400 yards and uh, I mean they had the big win over Michigan State really put them on the map earlier this year but uh, it's been you know not not the best season for them they're eight and two I'm sure they'd like to have a couple of those losses back uh, to UCLA and especially that one at Arizona State but I mean, shoot, take that ASU, uh, you know, loss out of there and Washington could be ranked in the top 10, <laughs> you know, Washington could be in this conversation. But again, this is what we talk about. The Pac-12 does this to themselves every year. They just shoot themselves out of it. Uh, we'll see what they do this next week as we've got some good Pac-12 matchups that we'll get into in our uh, college picks. But I did want to talk about the SEC a little bit, Mitch, because uh, not because there were notable games in the SEC, but because. Uh, We know now, after this slate of games, what the SEC championship game is going to look like. It will be Georgia and LSU in the SEC championship game. LSU's win on the road at Arkansas and Georgia's win on the road at Mississippi State puts those schools in prime position uh, and uh, locks them in to the SEC championship game at this point. So uh, I, I think this is significant, Mitch, because this has implications for two schools that are ranked in the top 10 of the college football playoff, Tennessee and Alabama, you know, who will both miss out on the sec championship game and that opportunity for that final resume building win that could put you over the edge, put you in the playoff. Neither of them are going to have that opportunity and you can essentially kind of take them out of the conversation, right? I mean, unless Michigan or Ohio state or TCU or Georgia just loses out, you know, I, Tennessee with even just, you know, the one loss that they have to Georgia, it's going to be hard as a non-champion to, in, in, in a non-SEC championship game participant, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for them to get in over these, some of these other schools. 
it's going to be really hard for them to do it. I mean, it, it's it's it'll be an uphill battle for them. Um, I, you look back at the history of the SEC title game. Um, other than Alabama and Georgia, over the last what am I looking at here? Last five, last six years, the only other matchup has been LSU and Georgia. So like this yeah. is wow. This is one of the well, no, I take that back. 2020 was Florida and Alabama. So, um, but you know, but still, like this is this this, this is uh, did I think I have a curse? I think I have a curse, and here's where I want to go with this is I I'm a fan of teams that have disappointing histories and I've been an A's fan my entire life disappointing history I've never seen an A's win a World Series title I've been a Bears fan my entire life I've never seen the Bears win a Super Bowl I become a fan of the Alabama Crimson Tide and all of a sudden we're not winners anymore we're not winners anymore. We're 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 losing our way out of championship games, and I I don't think I could be a fan of anything, Dallin. I don't think I could be a fan of anything. <laughs> Listen, I don't think I'd be a fan of anything. You, Mitch, you can't take it personal. It's not just you, but I do think you are cursed, my friend. I I do think you I'm have cursed. A problem, and I hope that you don't root for any team that I care about. Uh, but uh, you know. Actually, stop rooting for the Kraken, Mitch. You got to get out of here. We got to get you on something else. I'll <laughs> be just the that. most Go boring sports Calgary. fan of all I don't... time. I'll be the most boring sports fan of all time, and I'll I'll just have no fandom whatsoever. Oh, man. Just you know, it's just... Here's the thing with Alabama this year, and they'll end with a great season. They'll go to a New Year's Six Bowl with the at-large probably. Uh, they're going to end up in the Cotton Bowl against UCF or Tulane. They'll end up with the group of five team in the Cotton Bowl, and that'll be – fine they'll win that game but their season's gonna come down to like what two plays right you know barely losing to tennessee barely losing lsu and like that's that's it you know we're talking about the difference of a handful of plays and they're a college football playoff team and they're the alabama we all know it's not like it's really been a disappointing year though the team does feel worse and obviously they have two losses but those losses it's not like they were big they it's you know you look at the season and came down to a couple plays but that's the difference and that's how competitive this sec is best best conference in in college football uh you know clearly and uh, we're seeing it this year well just we'll just win a stupid cotton bowl i guess just, i guess you'll just have to win the stupid cotton bowl that's uh, how we'll do it <laughs> yeah speaking of the cotton bowl mitch uh the group of five the big group of five game this week the one that we uh had in our quick picks UCF and Tulane and UCF got the win over uh, the green tide in New Orleans, 38, 31 puts UCF in the pole position in the American athletic conference as uh, not only do they have this tiebreaker over Tulane, they also have a tiebreaker over Cincinnati. All three of those teams are eight and two and five and one in conference play. So with just two games remaining, in the regular season, uh, the UCF Knights in the pole position to play in the American Athletic Conference championship game. Will it be Cincinnati or Tulane facing them or, you know, maybe perhaps somebody else we will see. But uh, that was a big win for UCF, puts them in that pole position and really puts them as the favorite to earn that New Year's six game uh, bowl berth and go to the Cotton Bowl. 
Yeah, I mean, this would be awesome for UCF, awesome for a Group of Five team to get into another uh, New Year's Six Bowl. Um, but now this leads us into our college football trivia question of the week. Okay. Are you ready? I'm going to get one right this time. I, I feel I, it. Since the modern New Year's Six Bowl format, UCF has made two New Year's Six Bowls. The last time UCF was in a New Year's Six Bowl was 2018. When the Golden Knights were led to a 12 and old 12 and0 regular season record by this first time head coach. Oh, oh man. 2018, right? 2018? 2018. God, I know who this is. And when I can't think of the name, it's going to kill me. But I got to sit with this for a second because I, I know. I know who this is because they went on to get a power five job, right? They did. Yes. In the SEC, I want to say. Yes. See, this is my problem, Mitch, because this is as far as I've gotten. And now I'm just sitting here being like, and then what's the final step here? Because I know it's somewhere. (laughs) I know it's somewhere here. Um would you like to know if it's a primary color, a secondary color, a tertiary color? I, love that. I don't know what any of those mean, but sure, give me something. All right, so the the college that they got their power five in is a okay. secondary color. It's a secondary color. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what the difference between a primary and a secondary color is. I'm gonna be so honest. So the primaries I are. Me. I don't want you to tell me because okay. it'll give it away. I just want to point out that I don't, I don't know, know what why that means. you asked the colorblind kid to tell you what. <laughs> colors are I don't, I don't know why you asked me that so that's a great point that's actually a great point can i ask one more question sure maybe this will give it away is he still coaching in the sec yes I was i'm overthinking cer- this aren't i, I I'm you are so this. overthinking this quit overthinking things you know this this is easy this is a layup is it though see i just feel all this pressure on me i can't get I, these college okay you know what mitch I got two guesses. I want you to look at me in the eyes when I say these and not give it away because you're just going to just cry inside when you hear. I think it's either the Tennessee coach, Josh Heupel, or I just want to say, and I don't think it's Jimbo Fisher, but like part of me wants to say it is, even though I'm pretty sure he doesn't coach at UCF. I'm going to go with Heupel. I'm going to go with Tennessee, Mitch. I don't know. First of all, it's the, the the biggest part of this question was first time head coach. So the fact that you brought Jimbo Fisher up as a first time head coach in twenty eighteen was ridiculous. <laughs> yes, you're right. It's Josh Huppel, but like Oh thank God. Oh man. I almost blew it. I was like, <laughs> you're really you're between Josh Huppel and Jimbo Fisher? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Oh my oh, god. Man, I am so relieved that I got that. You have no idea. Um it's Wow, elite. yeah, I was majorly overthinking that. Dude. That's almost as bad as like Josh Heupel or Nick Saban. I don't know. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I think it was Brian Kelly. I don't know, man. Uh let's no, that was uh Jeez. Wow, okay, yeah. Josh, so Josh well, Heupel. Hey. Hey, I mean, turns out that was a pretty damn good hire. It's taken him, uh, you know, some years to build this thing. But, man, Tennessee, uh, despite, you know, the disappointing loss to Georgia, they won't be in the SEC championship game. But they've had a hell of a year uh, and they're contending in the SEC. Very impressive for them. 
Yes, absolutely very impressive. Good job. Oh, you got man. it done. You got Thanks. you you Thanks. stressed way too much about it, but it was it was a good get for you. I like it. So I don't think I could ever do like, you know, who wants to be a millionaire or something like that. Cause I just do with the question and then just get it wrong. I would just, I just see I'd your problem is guess myself you, out of it. Your problem is, is, you know, this stuff, you just overthink it. Just stop yeah. overthinking it. You know, it just say it. <laughs> it's not as easy as it looks folks. I'm just saying, you know, you sit there on the podcast. You're probably listening to me flounder like an idiot, you know, come on here. We'll give you a question. See how you do, you know, that's all I'm saying. Uh, Midge, actually, that is an invitation. Come on here. We'll ask that that would be that would be an awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to see yeah. that. So. Heisman watch our updated Heisman list. Last week's top five win as follows. Hendon Hooker, number one. Caleb Williams, number two. Max Duggan, number three. Bo Nix, number four. CJ Stroud, number five. We've got an update. We've got quite a bit different this week, Mitch. We really sat down with this thing and broke it down and rebuilt it back up. Uh, tell the folks the new top five on our Heisman watch. So our new top five for the Heisman watches, we bumped Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams all the way up to number one. Hendon Hooker at number two. A new entry in to our Heisman watch top five. Drake May of UNC is going to go to number three. CJ Stroud, number four. Max Duggan falls from three to down to number five. Yeah, knocks Bo Nix out to number six. Um, let's talk about this top five. Uh, Caleb Williams at number one felt, I mean, Hendon Hooker's having a great year. This isn't taken away from anything he's done. Uh, Williams statistically is just having, I think, a more explosive year. 36 total touchdowns on the ground and in the air, just two interceptions, 3,000 passing yards for Caleb Williams. Hooker's numbers are very good, but don't quite reach a lot of those uh, max numbers and so it feels like Williams the transfer uh, coming over over to USC with Lincoln Riley having success made sense for number one but let's talk about Drake May here Mitch mm. who mm. for those who aren't familiar second year guy first year starter with North Carolina a uh, very high recruit for Mac Brown I believe he was originally committed uh, I don't remember which school, but it was an SEC school. It was a very good program he was committed to, and Mac Brown flipped him. Mac Brown flipped him to North Carolina, and uh, it's paying off big. May's got completing 70% of his passes, 3,400 passing yards, 34 touchdowns, three interceptions. He's added five touchdowns on the ground. That's 39 total touchdowns this season. Mitch, uh, May's been extremely impressive, uh, and the hype is building around him already. He is a draft-eligible quarterback in 2024. So we talk about that 20, you know, every year everyone says next year's quarterback class, though. That's the one you want, right? This year's class is good, but next year, oh, next year, watch out, right? We did it last year. We did it the year before that. Well, next year's class is going to be really good because you got Caleb Williams and Drake May at the top of that, uh, potentially Quinn Ewers and, and, you know, maybe others emerging that 2024 class would be fun, but may is having himself a breakout year. Uh, and it seemed fitting with his uh, Tar Heels nine and one top 12 of the college football playoff rankings. Uh, it seemed fitting that we uh, gave him the love and, and put him into this ranking. The numbers are absurd, absurd. What he's doing. You mentioned mid completing 70% of his passes, almost 3,500 yards, 34 to three touchdown interception ratio. Uh, the school you were looking for that he originally committed to was unfortunately the Alabama Crimson Tide. 
Um, I, I was so, trying not to say it. If I was, I was, I, you know, we just talked about your Alabama being down. I wasn't trying to pile on. Okay. So I was look, trying to skirt you know around it, but I appreciate you. That would have been up. a, when he originally committed, that would have been a hard quarterback room to come into. So like, Hey, hey yeah. I so, mean, you know, we would have been looking at probably him starting as a, a senior maybe. So like, you know, it, it definitely would have, you know, put him on a slower track yeah. through college to get to the NFL. But no, Drake May's numbers have been absolutely fantastic. And what he's doing at UNC is incredibly impressive. Uh, th- there's there's um, numbers wise. I think you're going to be hard pressed to find anyone more impressive than Drake May right now in this Heisman in this Heisman yeah. talk. Yeah, no one's putting up the kind of numbers that he is with the completion percentage and the volume, right? 360 pass attempts on the year. You know, you look at C.J. Stroud and, and uh, Max Duggan, who are both in our Heisman ranking, but below him, uh, they have uh, passing attempts in the 270s, right? May's got almost 100 more passing attempts than both of those guys, and he's completing a higher number of passes. And so I think all of that, coupled with the fact that he's a first-year starter doing this for this North Carolina team, a team that has a horrible defense, and they're 9-1. and one. They should not be 9-1 and one with how bad that defense is. They can't stop a single, like, human being, a fly, an insect. I don't. They can't stop anything. But the, Drake May is, is keeping this team alive with the offense, uh, and it's been extremely impressive. So, oh, it's been other, incredibly impressive. The other name that we just wanted to mention as a honorable mention, someone who wasn't going to make the list, but you know, I mean, coming off that Oregon win, Michael Penix uh, needs some needs some love here in this in this conversation. 426 passing attempts on the season. I think that leads college uh, football. I know he leads college football in passing yards, 3,600 passing yards, 67% completion percentage, 25 touchdowns, six interceptions for Michael Penix. Uh, should be in the conversation. Not going to sneak in the top five yet for us. But I think based on the big win and the numbers he's put up, he certainly deserves a shout out here. Absolutely. I mean, I've said it at nauseum this year. I love Michael Penix and what he's doing with the Huskies is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Mitch, let's go to our upset of the week. We were both in agreement here. We talked about the game already, but Arizona over UCLA, uh, biggest surprise, hands down. I mean, we talked about how bad this loss is, but uh, when you look at what the line was, UCLA favored minus 20 at home. When you lose favored minus 20, it's the upset of the week. There's just, uh, that's just as simple as it is. Uh, that's hor- That's bad. Well, uh, that or your name is Arizona and the losing team is UCLA, who's the top 15 team <laughs> in the country. Yeah, you're going to get on the list. I mean, it's, Anytime Arizona beats anyone should be an upset. I mean, th- th- that program is that bad right now. But um, Dallas, you're the not players, wrong. I know, right? I, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just speaking facts here. That's all we do here on the sports center. Spit facts. But Dallas, I know that your player of the week that you were really high on um, is a big contributor to what one of our Heisman guys, Derek May. Um, a, a lot of his numbers are going this guy's way. Yeah, absolutely. Player of the week uh, for us on the Sports Hour is Josh Downs, wide receiver out of North Carolina, as you mentioned, passing, catching passes from May. And he had a big game in the win over the Demon Deacons on Saturday, 11 receptions, 154 yards and three touchdowns for Downs. And you maybe remember this name. He was one of the guys I mentioned before the season, my five, some of my five favorite players in the upcoming NFL draft and downs is a 
undersized receiver, doesn't play like it, plays bigger, plays faster, has great hands, and uh, I think is really going to find a very good role as a number two receiver in the NFL, a compliment to a true number one, you know, that X type, you know, go get plays. He is the compliment to that in a perfect way. Uh, and it's good to see him showing this coming on late this season. Big weapon, speedy, undersized guy that plays bigger than what he is. You know what that screams to me, Dallin? Another Carolina receiver, but not a Tar Heel receiver, a Carolina receiver by the name of Steve Smith. That's what that oh, screams a lot. Okay. To me. I love I like that. that. I, I, I love Josh Downs. Great, great pick yeah. for player of the week. I do want to mention something really quick about that UNC Wake Forest game. Both quarterbacks in the top 10 is statistically speaking for quarterbacks go. So it was an absolute shootout. Sam yes. Hartman 10th and passing this week. Um, it, it was just uh, and, Der- and uh, Drake may uh, up at number two for passers this week. It was a fantastic game. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Our best moment play of the week, Mitch, you got this one here. Boston college's game winning touchdown over NC state, the upset, uh, a, a, a upset of the week candidate. Boston College gets the big win with under 20 seconds left. Touchdown pass gets it done. It was just a, you know, it was one of those moments that you just, you have to go, wow, I can't, I can't look away from this. This has to be the best moment of the week, especially in an upset. Um, Boston College adds another game winning touchdown pass to their resume. Uh, Of course, we all think about the Doug Flutie play, but uh, this one just added to the Boston College upset resume. Love it. There you go. Great stuff there in the ACC. Some some drama uh, continues. Uh, love it. Mitch, college football playoff rankings reaction. Not 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 too many big changes. Uh, obviously, it's the Pac-12 upsets and we'll, we'll we'll get there. But the top five remains the same in the college football playoff rankings. That's Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU and Tennessee in the top five. Uh, number six, Oregon falls down to number 12. Uh, so you see a bump up there. LSU, new number six, USC seven, Alabama eight, Clemson nine, and Utah moving into the top 10. Uh, as I mentioned, Oregon job, dropped to number 12. Ole Miss dropped to 14 after their loss to Alabama. UCLA drops only four spots after losing to Arizona, which I thought was pretty surprising uh, considering Arizona is a bad football team. And that is just a bad a loss at home. I wonder why they weren't dinged as much for that one. Uh, they stay ahead of Washington, who moves up eight spots from 25 up to 17 after their upset victory. Not not too much else notable. I was a little surprised after UCF beats Tulane that uh, they remained pretty uh, tightly locked here. 20 is the ranking for UCF, 21 for Tulane. So. UCF was 22, Tulane was 17 coming into this week. So they flipped there, but not a big margin between those two squads. Cincinnati also joins the rankings at number 25. That makes three group of five teams represented from the American Athletic Conference in our rankings. Oklahoma State jumps back into the top 25 at number 22, and Oregon State jumps in at number 23. Yeah, not that it really matters because at this point of the year, it's like the top 10 matter, right? Because that's when we're talking about and, college football playoffs. Yeah, and playoffs. really like the top seven, you know, maybe Seven, eight, six, yeah, know? yeah. You know, but 
I if I were the guy that made the college football rankings and I had sole control over this, I'm taking UCLA. I'm bumping them down to 20. I'm putting UCF up to 16. That's yeah. really the biggest thing that I have. UCF beat a really good Tulane team, and UCLA lost to a really bad Arizona team. So like we bring up branding all the time on this show, and and how it's it it's more attractive to have the bigger brands towards the top of the rankings. Right. We, we talked about Notre Dame doing that for the first couple of weeks. They were ranked in like 0 and 2. Um, they were top five to start the season. You know, right. <laughs> I mean, it, it we, we, we talk about that all the time. But like this is one of those instances where it's like, look, UCF actually has a quality win here. We need to put them above UCLA who fumbled and they they really dropped the ball. No pun intended against Arizona like this. This is a this is one of those big changes that I actually have a problem with. I think that UCF yeah. should be much higher than 20. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, the, the brand of college football is a poison on the sport and it continues to uh, diminish how good this could be uh, and create uh, unnecessary biases. And this is, uh, I think a case of that, that they didn't drop. Cause yeah, I mean, if that's any other school that loses to a team as bad as Arizona, they might be out of the rankings completely. You know, they might, they might just, I mean, if it was some random AC, if it was case, Virginia, if, yeah, if, if it was case losing to Arizona, they're not in the top 25. They're out. They're out. Yeah, exactly. No, they'd be out. Um, So yeah. I think that's and not just because right. they'd be a four loss team. It, you know, even if they were a one loss team, they'd be right. out because they lost Arizona. So like, it, it, yeah, it sucks, but yeah. that's the way the world works. So. That is how it works. And it does set up some big matchups in the Pac-12 this week as we get into our games to watch. And to recap last week's, Mitch, I, I've i been out for a minute in these picks, right? I've been down. I was down 10 coming into this last week. And then and then it happened, Mitch. I finally had a good week. I swept <laughs> this week. I got all of my picks right, including my lock. Uh, so we made up some ground. So we'll go over our picks. TCU at Texas. We both picked the Horned Frogs. I locked TCU. We both got uh, a win there with the TCU win, so I get the lock there. UCF and Tulane. I took UCF. You took Tulane, and you locked them. I loved that. Good line to lock, at minus one and a half. So, you know, good call there, but you don't get that one as UCF pulls off the upset. Alabama and Ole Miss. We both picked Alabama. Alabama gets it done. And then Washington and Oregon, I picked the Huskies. You picked the Ducks. Washington gets the win. So six points for me in the college picks. One pick for Mitch. That leads us 29 on the season for Mitch. 24 for me. So I was down 10. Now I'm only down five. I, like I said, it's not over till it's over, buddy. It's not over till it's <laughs> over. You're, I know there's only a couple weeks left of this college football regular season. And we had discussed what we're going to do uh, come conference championship time. Um, and we'll get into that uh, maybe it maybe in the coming weeks. But um, you're not out of this, but you're still in this very much so. So I guess not. I was starting to lose faith, but I believing again and I'm ready to get hurt uh, and disappoint myself. So let's uh, let's not waste any time and let's jump in here with our first game. Mitch. It's number 10, Utah at number 12, Oregon, a tough road test for the Utah Utes who traveled to Hudson Stadium. To take on the Ducks, who will look to bounce back after a hugely disappointing loss at home last week. Oregon is favored in this game, minus three at home, over under 63. I'll go first here. I'm going to roll with Oregon, Mitch. 
The worst thing that happened for Utah this week was that Oregon lost. Because now I think the Ducks are going to be extra motivated at home. Listen, we dropped one at home. We're not doing it again. We're not doing it again. We're not letting Utah get into the Pac-12 championship game over us because they beat us at home. We're not going to do it. I think Oregon shows up. Utah's got a good team. Their defense isn't good enough to slow down this Oregon team enough. And their offense isn't good enough and is too injured right now to compete with the firepower of the Ducks. So I am rolling with Oregon in this one. I'm rolling with the Ducks as well. Um, not going to lock this one. I don't know if like, if you're in a legal gambling state, please gamble responsibly. Um, I wouldn't take the spread on this. I'd take the money line, Oregon, right now, minus 155. Uh, that's the bet that I would take. And I think that yeah, give me the under on this one. I don't have any confidence really in Utah's offense. So I, I'm going to take the under and the money line on Oregon. All righty, Mitch, let's jump to our next matchup here in ACC matchup. Number 24, NC State, coming off of the disappointing loss, as we mentioned, to Boston College. They're on the road at Louisville. Cardinals favored in this one. Minus four at home over under. It's only 45 in this one. Mitch, NC State, it's not been the season that you would have hoped for uh, when you when you started the season for NC State. I thought this team was going to compete in the ACC. I picked them to win the ACC. Uh, with Devin Leary, uh, you know, at the helm, I thought this team was going to be able to do some stuff. But his injury has really put a damper on, on their hopes this season. Uh, and I think that was came to fruition last week in that loss to a two-win Boston College team. But redemption opportunity against a good Louisville team, six and four on the season for the Cardinals. I, I, you know, I'm rolling with Louisville. Mm. I'm rolling with the Cardinals in this one. That's all I got. <laughs> Just a gut feeling, huh? Just a gut feeling on Louisville. My analysis. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. It's a gut feeling. I don't have any good reason why, but I'm, I'm doing Louisville again. I don't know if there's a more unconvincing top 25 team right now than the NC state Wolfpack. Mm. I don't know if they, they, they just feel very unconvincing and Louisville is despite the record, especially in the conference, much more, con- much more convincing than same than uh, NC state is. So I'm going to take the Cardinals in this one. I like it. I like it. Uh, both these teams lost to Boston college this year. Well, Boston college has three wins all season and two of them are against the two teams playing. Who would have thought that? I mean, that is wild good uh, for them. I, I forgot to mention this, but I'm going to make this my lock of the week. I'm going to oh, lock Louisville in okay. on this line. I'm okay. going to lock Louisville to, to win at home. Line is minus four in this one. I'm going to lock. I'm I'm locking Louisville. Uh, mainly because I can't lock a Pac-12 team. I vowed not to do that ever again. And I almost was going to do it again. And I am not going to do that. Mitch, let's go to our next game. Uh, this was a fun A group of five matchup, an unranked matchup. We haven't talked about many games like this uh, on our picks this year, but this seemed like the right week for it. Mountain West matchup between Boise State and Wyoming. Boise State headed to Laramie to take on the Cowboys. 
both these teams are seven and three, Mitch. And the reason why we wanted to highlight this game that's happening on Saturdays, because these two teams are the main contenders right now in the Mountain West and specifically in the Mountain Division of the Mountain West. Essentially, winner of this game is going to be locked in to the Mountain West Championship game. And if there's any team outside of the American Athletic Conference and those three teams that we see ranked in the top 25, uh, Tulane, UCF, Cincinnati, if there's anyone outside of those three teams that has a shot at the New Year's Six Group of Five Bowl berth, the opportunity at the Cotton Bowl, I think it's probably one of these two teams right here, and it probably takes them winning out from this point forward to be there. Uh, But the biggest test of the season right now for the Broncos and the Cowboys, Boise State, uh, despite their records and despite, I think, the talent on these teams, Boise State's favored minus 14 on the road in this one, which is just wild. Over under 44 in the game, Mitch. Who are you taking in this Mountain West matchup? And I don't know. It's a tough one because right now, Wyoming is five and five against the spread this year. Hmm. Very much down the middle. It's a coin flip. It's a coin flip. I, you know what? Not lock them, but go pokes. Go pokes. I'm okay. taking. I'm taking Wyoming in this one. Give Give me the Cowboys in this one. I. I. You know what? It, I just, it just feels right, Dallin. It just feels right. They're not on the blue field. Are they? Yep. Are they on the blue field? No, no, they're in Laramie. No, no. So, you know, they're in Laramie. So you know there. what? Yeah. I yeah. Give me the Cowboys in this one, man. Oh man, I like that, Mitch. Uh, listen, I saw these. I've seen these two teams play this year. They both played BYU. Um, and man i like this this wyoming team is pretty good offensively they're not great but they've got a really tough defense uh, and i think they're gonna throw some challenges at the broncos way but i'm gonna roll with boise state in this one no you can't touch the line in this because that's just an absurd line i mean this should be like a four-point line at the most this is a good matchup but i will roll with boise state though i'll roll well with the broncos yeah on the yeah, that's a this is a tough pick. That's a really tough yeah. pick, Boise State, Wyoming. It feels like a toss-up. You mentioned it, a coin flip kind of game. It definitely feels like that one. Uh, Mitch, our final game of the picks this week, number seven, USC on the road at the Bruins, number 16, UCLA in the Rose Bowl on Saturday night. Should be a big-time matchup. USC's favored minus two-and-a-half on the road, over-under. 76 points should be a shootout. Anytime you get the Trojans, it's going to be a shootout. And then you add this UCLA offense and uh, we're talking big points. Do you want me to make my pick here first? Are you, are you, are you ready? To go yeah, I do. Uh, no, you, you, you go ahead. The look on your faces. I am second guessing my entire existence. So I'm going to take that cue and go ahead and make my pick here because Mitch has put himself in a position where he has to lock one of these. And that's what he's debating now. Uh, how does he go about that? But I'm going to roll here and I'm going with the Trojans. I'm rolling with USC on the road. Uh, I, I think the UCLA team is really good. And man, the worst thing, I said this about Utah, the worst thing that could have happened this week for USC was UCLA blowing that game, right? Because now, you know, it's like, uh, guys, we got to, you know, 
let's our season's in ruined. Let's go ruin their season too. You know, let's keep them out of this. And I think a win would all but seal the fate of the Pac-12 in the college football playoff if UCLA were to win this one. But I'm going to say USC gets it done as the favorite on the road. Oh, this is this is a tough one. I it actually makes me wish I had locked Oregon Utah. It, it really mm. does. Like I. Because here's the deal. If if you lock one, if you if you lock one of these teams, you look like a genius if you hit. But if you lose, you look like an idiot because you're like, why would you lock against that team? Like I why, I don't understand why'd you lock against them. I understand that UCLA is a very very good team. I also understand that this year USC is only six and four against the spread. They've actually the spread has beaten them four times despite being a one loss team. But I am locking the Trojans on this one. I think the Trojans okay. get done minus two and a half. I'm also going to take the over. I think this is a very high scoring game. Um, I think the Rose Bowl is going to be an electric factory on Saturday. And we're going to see a lot of points scored in Pasadena. Um, g- give me the Trojans, though, in a lock at minus two and a half. All righty. Mitch locks the Trojans. That will do it for our college picks. On the campus tour leads us to our player to know before the NFL draft, before we can wrap up the campus tour in the first half of the podcast and to recap the names that we've heard so far, uh, starting with last week, wide receiver Quinton Johnston out of TCU, uh, Olu Fashanu, offensive tackle, Penn State, Hendon Hooker, quarterback, Tennessee, Michael Mayer, tight end, Notre Dame, Joey Porter, cornerback, Penn State. Drew Sanders, linebacker, Arkansas, Bijan Robinson, running back, Texas, Jordan Addison, wide receiver, USC, and Bryce Young, quarterback from Alabama. And this week, Mitch, we are going to talk about our first defensive lineman. Mm. Debating who to go with here. Because there are a lot of good names along the defensive line. This is a very good draft for a defensive line at the top of the draft, especially the interior defensive linemen. Jalen Carter, Brian Brzee uh, are going to be top 10 picks. Obviously, Will Anderson at the top. But the guy that I want to highlight, mainly because he is one of the biggest stories of the season, one of the biggest risers in the draft process so far, Tyree Wilson, the defensive end for Texas Tech, the Red Raiders there in the Big 12. Tyree Tyree Wilson is a fifth-year senior, came back this last year, could have entered the draft last year, probably would have been about a mid-round pick, but came back for an extra season to, to you know, take advantage of that eligibility and, and really try to improve his draft stock, and boy, has he done it. Seven sacks on the season for Tyree Wilson. Six foot six, 275, Mitch, with a seven foot wingspan. And that is what makes Tyree Wilson so interesting when it comes to the NFL draft. The production is there. You're seeing that length and that power show off big in this fifth year. Uh, and the numbers are matching, right? Not huge numbers, but uh, he's showing really well. And when it comes to this edge class, those measurables are going to stand out. We talk about Will Anderson, and he's going to be at the top of the draft boards. He's going to be a top five pick, but he does not have the measurables that you would love for an edge 
player uh, coming into the draft, right? 243, uh, right? He's, he's pretty light, not maybe 6'3", maybe 6'4", not quite the length and the size that a lot of uh, the top edge rushers of the past have shown. And if Trayvon Walker and his size and his length showed us anything in last year's draft is that those traits are highly coveted by NFL teams. And that's not going to diminish Will Anderson because he is a hell of a talent, but that's going to help a guy like Tyree Wilson, who's being productive now, but 6'6", 275, seven-foot wingspan. That is going to impress folks when you test well, uh, when you're being productive at this level. So right now he's number 11 on the PFF draft board. He's edge uh, number four behind Will Anderson, Miles Murphy, the edge out of Clemson, and Nolan Smith, the Georgia edge, who uh, is missing the rest of the season right now. He's injured. Uh, and that's kind of that top group, I would say, those four guys, at least for the uh, present moment. So a name to keep an eye on in this draft process at the edge position. And again, I'm just saying this now in November, if he has a Trayvon Walker-esque rise, those are the reasons why, right? The measurables, the wingspan, the raw potential. And if we saw what Walker became, if you would have told me last November Trayvon Walker was going to be the number one pick, I would have thought you were insane, right? And there he was at number one for Jacksonville. So. Player to know before the NFL draft this week, this week Tyree Wilson, uh, the edge out of Texas Tech. Love it. Great addition to the list. So. All righty, Mitch, that's going to ramp up the campus tour for us. We're going to take a break and hit a mid-roll. And on the other side, we'll hear the top five. We'll do our NFL Week 10 recap and our quick picks for the week for Week 11 of the NFL season. So stick around, and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the Sports Hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening. But if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the Sports Hour and become a permanent part of the show, like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back in to the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. Hope you had a nice little break there, but it's time for the second half of our show. We got some NFL superlatives. A little bit of NFL recap. We got our quick picks, as always, to cap off the show. But, Dallin, before we get into it, it's MLB award season time. And as we just found out, just within the last hour, uh, we have two Cy Young Award winners. Um, Marlins, The Marlins' Sandy Alcantara wins his first NL Cy Young for the Marlins. The first ever Marlin to ever win a Cy Young. Yeah. And... Justin Verlander wins his third Cy Young after a great comeback year from him. Um, The old man continues to get it done. Um, So, Dallin, and this is just coincidence, by the way, like this news happened to come up as a coincidence. And I was like, oh, how perfect is it that we're announcing Cy Young award winners tonight when I'm doing this top five? Because I watched the uh, I watched a documentary on Netflix and I'll get into that later on in the list. And it inspired me because I saw some things that were incredible, some things that I didn't know. And on this week's edition of 
Mitch Moe's top five list of the week. We're going to be doing the best pitchers to never win a Cy Young. Oh, this is going to be good. I, I, this, this is going to have, I, I can already see this is going to have some names that I'm going to be shocked to find out. Never won a Cy Young. This is going to have some good ones. Now there are some, um, there are, uh, there is a little bit of criteria. We are excluding pitchers pre-1956 because that was before this Cy Young award was available to win. So guys like Christy Mathewson and Robin Roberts, they are not going to be a part of this list because they played pre-Cy Young award era. Um, a lot of them probably would have won it in some of their years, but they're not going to be a part of it. So we're going basically from 1956 to the present time, this Cy Young award era. Some honorable mentions here, Dallin. Uh, Mike Messina. You might remember him as a yep. Yankee and an Oriole, never won a Cy Young. Burt Blylevin, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, never won a Cy oh, Young, yeah. which blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, wait, how did he? Long, Andy long time White Sox, right? Pitcher? Long time White yeah. Sox. Uh, I think he was a, uh, a one time Blue Jay as well. Yeah. Um, Andy Pettit, never won a Cy Young. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Phil Necro, the uh, knuckleballer, never won a Cy Young okay. as well. He had some great years. Um, Phil Necro has some really cool cheating stories, doctoring ball stories, if you will, huh. um, yeah. that that uh, I encourage you, Dallin, and all the listeners to look up because he's got some fun ones, um, including the one where he like put a piece of sandpaper in his back pocket and he was scuffing the ball. And as he was getting checked by umpires, grabbed the piece of sandpaper out of his back pocket and like threw it off to the side as he was throwing his hands up and they like, caught him throwing the piece of sandpaper out. <laughs> it's a classic video. Um, awesome. <laughs> but uh, I love, I love cheating stories. They're so much fun. But anyway, those are the honorable mentions. Let's get in to the list at number five. We're going to go with Dave Steeb, Dave Steve or Steeb, excuse me, um, of the Toronto Blue Jays um, played from 1979 um, till 1998, but had a four-year hiatus in the in the middle of his career from 94 to 97. Um, this guy finished Cy Young in the Cy Young voting uh, in the top five once. Only once in his career did he finish that. He was 19 and five with a two or 3.25 ERA, um, 141 strikeouts. What what made Dave Steve fantastic was that. He was just an out getter. He didn't care how he got the out. He got the out. And if you want to watch a really good, very thorough breakdown of Dave Steve's career, go watch Secret Base. Uh, Captain Ahab is the name of the series. Mm. And it's all about Dave Steve and his career and how he was cheated out of multiple Cy Young Awards. Um, excuse me. He finished in the Cy Young voting twice. Um, but Dave Steeb had some fantastic years that he gets zero credit for because there was relief pitchers that were putting up like one, you know, one and a half ERAs. So Dave Steeb going to get number five on the list. OK, yeah, uh, man, seven time all star uh, right over his what 16 year career. So. Uh, great career, but yeah, just could never crack. Uh, you know, look at his numbers. He had very consistent, but he just didn't have that one stellar season, right? That gets you the award and that disappointing for a, uh, who obviously was a really good pitcher. 
I want to put this in perspective for you. 1984, Dave Steeb finished fourth in Cy Young voting, had a 17 and 14 record. Or, yeah, 17 and 14 record, but through 19 complete games in that season. Wow. <laughs> he got beat out by a 9 and 7 Dan Quisenberry, a 15 and 5 Jim Palmer, and a 18 and 6 Pete Vukovic. Um, all of which had higher ERAs than Dave Steeb. Oh, sorry. I, I, I missed that. Dan Quisenberry had a higher or lower ERA than did, did Dave Steeb. But he was also pitching in Toronto, like a hitter's park. Like he, he yeah. was doing these things in a very hitter-friendly park. But um, if, if you want a much more in-depth analysis on Dave Steeb's career, go check out Secret Base's uh, multi-part series on him. Uh, a fantastic series. So Dave Steve, number five on the list. Uh, number four, we're going with a current player and a guy that I was almost certain had won one by now. And it's going to be Chris Sale. Um, Chris Sale has never won a Cy Young Award. In fact, he has finished top five in voting six times. In fact, six out of the last seven years. Of course, wow. after his Tommy John surgery, um, he had, you know, he, he has struggled to come back from that but he had some right. fantastic years uh with the white Sox. if you go back and look at a seven uh, a 17 and 10 record in 2016 with a 3.34 era his probably his best year was 2014 12 and 4 2.17 era finished third in Cy young voting um a guy that i just i was almost certain had won one at least during his white Sox tenure uh never got one never got one so chris sale a uh, number four yeah. on the list. Yeah, that's a great one. And you look at that 2017, that first season with Boston, Mitch, second in Cy Young that year, 17 and eight, had 308 strikeouts and 214 innings pitched. He averaged almost 13 strikeouts per nine innings. I mean, with that with a 2.9 ERA, and it's like, how do you not? How do you not get one? You know, that's uh, that's that's another name not? that I, yeah. Oh I my gosh. I'd have been surprised to find out he didn't, you know, he didn't win one. But and you go to his close. 28, you go to his 2018 season where he was fourth in Cy Young voting. He averaged 13 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. Like this yeah. guy was, this guy was nutso in the late part of the 2010s. Uh, so Curse Sale getting yeah. the nod here for number four. Number three on the list is Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling is. How? Never won one. I'm I, I, now again. I was saying this earlier. I'm gonna hear some names and be like, they never won a Cy Young, but holy cow! So fi- finished second twice, 2001, 2002, and 2004. There have only been five instances in MLB history where teammates have finished first and second in Cy Young voting. Him and Randy Johnson are two of them, and they happen in back-to-back years. Oh man, uh, th- this guy. <laughs> Was 21 and six with a 3.26 ERA, 203 strikeouts in 2004, lost out to Randy Johnson. He then went to the Red Sox, or excuse me, that was uh, that was with the Red Sox. That was that, that was first with season the with the Red Sox. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, excuse me, uh, I'm wrong. That was it. Yeah, that was his first season with the Red Sox. That was the bloody sock year and everything. Mm-hmm. Then he that again. Uh, finished second to Johan Santana, I believe, the following year with a 20 and six record, a 2.61 ERA, and 265 strikeouts. This guy um, put up incredible numbers. 
and uh, unfortunately was one of the best pitchers in the league while he was pitching against some of the best pitchers of all time in the league. So uh, Kurt Schilling, a, a victim of circumstance, and he's number three on this list. Yeah, when you're finishing second to Randy Johnson, it's hard to, you know, you can be upset, but it's hard to be <laughs> it's hard to be that upset about it. Randy know? from like 98 to 06 was the most dominant guy in the league. Like there yeah, was just no yeah. touch them. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's tough to be a number two to that guy. It, yeah, it really is. Yeah, for real. Um, number three on the list. Um, is a guy again. I was almost certain had won one. Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright has never won a Cy Young Award. In fact, he's finished in the top three four times um, from 2009 to 2014. Um, I also think that Adam Wainwright is probably the most underrated pitcher of all time. This guy is 195 wins. He has a career 3.38 ERA. Um, He's not a big strikeout guy. He's got 2,147 strikeouts. Not a big strikeout guy. He's not going to blow you away with anything, but so damn good at just getting outs. And I I think when it comes down to it, Adam Wainwright is going to be one of the most underappreciated pitchers in baseball history. And um, it's it's a shame that he hasn't got the recognition that really he deserves, the award that he deserves. So um, Wainwright, number two on the list. Yeah, Wainwright's a good one. It's kind of similar to Dave Steve, too, in the way where he had some good seasons, but not just like a killer season with 20 plus wins and you know, low losses and, you know, where it all puts it together to win that Cy Young. But uh, he had a lot of 19 wins, you know, uh, right, you know, sort of right there in that realm competing, uh, but just didn't have that one stellar season to get the award, but a long, uh, very good career for Wayne Wright. Two, two 20 win seasons for him. 2010, where he was 20 and 11 with a two, four, two ERA, um, was finished second at, that year, finished second <laughs> that year. Young. Yeah. And 2014, he was 20 and nine with a 2.38 ERA, finished third. So yeah. and eighth in MVP voting. So like yeah. this guy had Even some that years. Won't get you. <laughs> that won't get it to you. <laughs> number one, not. Dallin. Number one. I was shocked, and I watched the documentary facing Nolan. Nolan Ryan is number one on this list. Never no won way. a Cy Young Award. Okay. Are you – I got to fact check. I, I believe you, but I got to see it for myself because that is – Go ahead and check. That is, are we – wow, that is crazy. 1973 was absolute like – his, his stretch with the California Angels was – from 1972 to 1974 was the stuff of legends. Yeah, he set the mate in 1973. This was his best year. 21 and 16, a 2.87 ERA set the major league record for strikeouts with 383 in one season, averaging 10.6 per nine innings. That's over 39 starts with 26 complete games and didn't win a world and didn't win a Cy Young. It is un. Believable that this guy never. Now I know the walk numbers are always higher with Nolan Ryan, right? He was a power pitcher, right. but this is arguably the greatest pitcher of all time, and the fact that he never won the highest honor for a pitcher in a given year ever is beyond absurd. Yeah. Nolan Ryan deserves to be number one. <laughs> this listen, it's not even close. 
Wow. I I expected to be surprised, and even I didn't see that coming. Like, I, had, I did not nowhere in my right mind that I think we'd be talking about guys like Nolan Ryan at the end of this. But holy cow. Just off a sheer... It. Just off a of sheer volume, he played 27 years in the league and excelled for, let's say, give or take 22 of them. Yeah. And he never won a Cy Young. That's absurd. Absurd, man. Crazy. Oh. Absolutely. Wow. What a top five. All right. Mitch, uh, read back the list for the folks again. So number five on the list is Dave Steeb. Number four, Chris Sale. Number three, Kurt Schilling. Number two, Adam Wainwright. And number one, the Express, Nolan Ryan, never winning a Cy Young in his career. Wow. Best pitchers to never win a Cy Young. There you have it, Mitch. Great top five today, man. Yeah, that was a, that was a very surprising list, to say the least. Uh, but great stuff, man. That was awesome. If you had fact checked me and Nolan Ryan had like eked one out, I would have like that would have totally destroyed the list. I would have just said delete the segment. We're done. We're moving on to NFL show. You might have to. Yeah. You're just like, I'm finding a new co-host. So screw this credibility shot. It's it's way shot. The top fives would be dead if that happened. But you were right. And I should have never. I I didn't doubt you. All right. No, I'm glad you fact checked me. You you fact checked me to save my credibility. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Mainly because I just, it was too incredulous to believe that Nolan Ryan never won a Cy Young, but so it is. Look, here's a, so here's some career records for Nolan Ryan. You ready? Cause now I I went on a little bit of a deep five, (laughs) deep dive for Nolan Ryan. So he's the career all time strikeouts leader, right? 5,714 which I don't think anyone will touch. Yeah. He's also the career walks leader, 2795. He walked a shit ton of people. We all know that. While he was averaging, you know, 10 strikeouts, 11 strikeouts a game, he was walking, you know, five, six guys a game as well. Um, He also holds the record, and this is the weirdest thing. He also holds the record for lowest hits per nine. So, like, oh. he walked the most guys but also gave up the fewest hits per nine at 6.6 over over his career. So, like, some really, really wow. fun records for, for Nolan Ryan. Um, he's got yeah. – I if you haven't seen the documentary Facing Nolan, it's on Netflix. Go watch it. It is fascinating. This guy's career, the numbers that he put up, um, his career path how close he was to like only playing like four or five years in the league, calling it quits and just going to be a rancher. Like this guy has had a, an exceptional career an exceptional life and um, a, a must watch in my opinion on Netflix is facing Nolan. Wow. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, that uh, great top five. I'm man crazy. Yeah. Didn't see it coming, but, uh, but you love it for it. Mitch, let's jump to our NFL week 10 recap and we've got our superlatives uh we like to break down the past week of games with this let's start this off as we always do mitch with the most impressive team from this past week of games and i'll let you go first here because your entry was i think i'm gonna make an argument for mine but i think there's i think it's pretty clear that this this win was the most impressive and this team was the most impressive this last week. 
I mean, they were impressive, and it was the wildest game I've seen in a while. I mean, that ending was absolutely insane. Um, but the Minnesota Vikings, super impressive. They get it done over the Bills, 33-30. Um, they have the, the stop at the goal line. The Vikings don't get it in. They're, it looks like they're not going to get the win. The Bills take it over on the one-inch line. They fumble the snap, and the Vikings recover it in the end zone to send it to overtime. They tied the, uh, that, Well, actually, they took the lead. Then the Bills drove down, kicked a field goal, sent it to overtime. And then the Vikings go ahead. They set their first drive in overtime, kicked the field goal. Josh Allen throws a pick, game over. Um, Vikings get it done over the Bills. But, you know, it really makes me question – it makes me start to question my Eagles pick for the Super Bowl because this Viking mm. team seems relentless. Where, like, the Eagles, we saw them falter this week, and we'll get into that, but this Vikings team seems like they've got a grit to them. And I think that's spearheaded by a very undervalued guy on this roster, which is Kirk Cousins. Mm. It's kind of a joke to say that Kirk Cousins is – the media, like the baseline for like average in the league. Right. And he kind of is, but at the same time, Kirk Cousins goes out and wins. And he's done it year in and year out. And I'm tired of the Kirk Cousins hate. And I think it's time that we put some respect on Kirk Cousins' name. Now, his game during the, you know, against the Bills was not anything spectacular or all worthy at all but it's time that we put some respect on Kirk Cousins name for the leader that he is and the jet the the field general the game manager that he is and that he can go out and get dubs kind of almost at will right now so like I I am putting the Vikings as my most impressive team right now yeah I mean it just seems like the Eagles seem like the best team because they have the most talent everywhere on the roster but the vikings very much feel like the team right now that is just always gonna find a way to win right they're just they're gonna win it's it might be sloppy it might be ugly they might luck into it they might stumble into it like the bills fumbling a snap on the one yard line right like that's not anything minnesota did but it doesn't matter because they took advantage and they win that game because of it right and so Despite what may feel like at times, uh, you know, not a good defense, a at times can feel like a very uh, stuck offense when the run game isn't going. They just sort of found ways to make it happen. And you see Kevin O'Connell following the formula that he learned in L.A. from Sean McVay. You get a you don't need a superstar quarterback. You need somebody better than Jared Goff, obviously. but You don't need a superstar if you can surround him with enough playmakers that he can get the ball out to those guys and they can make it happen. And what has Minnesota surrounded Kirk Cousins with? Justin Jefferson, who's arguably the best wide receiver in the league already. TJ Hawkinson, who they just added in the trade deadline, and he came up clutch all game when Kirk needs him on third down. It's there's TJ Hawkinson picking it up. Uh, They've got Dalvin Cook in the backfield. And and listen, they're going to need to find another weapon, a wide receiver to replace Thielen, but the foundation is there, right? You're seeing what it could be, and they're just making it happen. So, 
I mean, yeah, I'm with you again. I have a different pick, but I'm with you that I think the Vikings, you know, they were the most impressive team this week, 100%. And and Dalvin Cook rushed for eight and a half, eight and a half a carry yeah. on just 14 carries, 119. So, I mean, they get it done on multi you know, multiple facets of their offensive game. Yeah, it was definitely uh, the best game of the season for them and uh, a, a huge win over the Bills on the road uh, solidifies them as a true contender in the NFC. Uh, the team that I'm going with, Mitch, not because they're like the best team in a different way than the Vikings, but I'm going with the Packers for the most impressive team this week because oh, they, interesting. they had a gritty, impressive win against a very good team in the Dallas Cowboys. And listen, I'd written off the pack and they might, I mean, listen, they're still on the outside of the playoffs looking in. They've got a very long shot, like 15% chance of making the playoffs at this point, but season on the line backs against the wall. They're down late in this game, heading into that fourth quarter. You know, they're trailing. And they found a way to get it done when they needed to. They were down 28-14 heading into that fourth quarter. The defense tightens up, doesn't give up any more points to a Dallas team that had, you know, up to that point, done whatever they needed to do against you. The offense got touchdowns when they needed. Aaron Rodgers made plays when he needed. And they walk out of here with a 31-28 victory. And listen, this team is not, this team is still broken. The system didn't change overnight. Aaron Rodgers had 20 pass attempts in this game, right? They have three touchdowns to Christian Watson on deep plays that like, if they don't happen, if one of those don't happen, they lose. It's like, if one of those deep play action passes to Christian Watson doesn't hit, they lose the game. I mean, they still win this in a, in not a sustainable manner, but the fact that they won this game Again, with the way that the season was going, three and six, backs against the wall. I mean, if you lose this, you just shit, you, you pack it up now. It's over. I, impressive that Green Bay was able to pull this off. What this means for the rest of the season, who knows? But I thought against a good Dallas team, I was very impressed by the Packers. So do you still want to bench Aaron Rodgers because his, his yes, attitude's yes, bad? Yes, because they're still not going to make the playoffs, and Aaron Rodgers is still a baby. So, yes, you should uh, You, you just said there was along. a shot, so I don't know if you, if you think you have a shot. Why would you? Why would you bench you well, know, they, one of the greatest? There is always a shot. Time. You know, they're, they're I, not. Well, they're not, they're not for some it. teams. Not for some teams. But I, I, I don't understand I why you would weeks stand ago. by that. No, I don't get that. Look, they what they did. It what they did was what they should have been doing, which is when Aaron Rodgers has nobody's to throw to, which is pound the ball with a two-headed monster of Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, and they did exactly that. Um, that's why they won that game. They played good defense and they pounded the ball. They they. They didn't let they didn't put Aaron Rodgers in bad situations is what they did. And when you put a great quarterback who has a bad situation weapons wise and you put him in good situations to succeed, then you can't lose. And they did exactly that. So, you know, the the, the again, I I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth as a Bears fan. But like the Packers did all the right things to get this thing done against the Cowboys. Yeah, and no, I think I mean, the it, Cowboys... it worked. It worked. It worked on the ground. Uh, and at times this season, they haven't been consistent on the ground. We knew coming into the season that the only way this this Green Bay offense was going to function is if the running game was a high level running game. And with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon 
and what should have been an above average offensive line, you would expect that that would have been a strength for them. And that eased the pressure on this passing game. And that's something we haven't seen this year. Perhaps this is that change moving forward for them. We shall see, but uh, they put themselves in uh, quite the hole as far as the playoffs go a long way to go. And especially with the Vikings, as you brought up, you know, eight and one, they're looking unbeatable, Uh, tough road ahead for green Bay, but, Good win. Good win over Dallas. Mitch, your most disappointing team, though. I'll let you go first here. Look, it's the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, if there's ever been a Super Bowl hangover, it's whatever the Rams have been doing over the last few weeks. I mean, losing 27-17 to the Cardinals, a subpar Cardinals team, a Cardinals team that I think a lot of people had high expectations for. Um, even with the absence of DeAndre Hopkins, they figure they can they can hang around and, and be floating around they're not a very good, they're still not a very good team. And somehow the Rams are worse than them (laughs) by half a game, by half a game. And they just got beat by Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy was at quarterback and they got beat by him. I mean, it's, it's a really, really disappointing for the lost or loss for the Los Angeles Rams. And I really start to wonder if giving up all those draft picks and just loading up, on all the cash that they're going to have to pay out to this kind of aging talent to build a winner now is just setting them up from doomsday. And they're going to have to suck for the next five to six years because they put themselves in a position where they're win now and it's, it's super bowl or bust and it, it paid off for one year, but now it's looking to not pay off any longer than that. Yeah. You know, we see this in the NBA when you build your teams around superstars, it works really well when those superstars are healthy and playing, but when they're not on the field and the rest of your team is ass, well, those superstars suddenly aren't really that valuable. Right. And that's what the LA Rams have done. They've traded away the future. They've traded away draft capital and they went after stars, Jalen Ramsey, you know, Aaron Donald on the defense, uh, Cooper cup, Matt Stafford, right. They've got these big names and that's what the team's based off of. And when you take, uh, you know, those players away and that talent. And you look at what's around them. It's not great. Matt Stafford didn't play in this game. I know you said they lost to Colt McCoy, but they also started John Wolford. So, you know, not an ideal situation already for LA and on top of it, to add uh, insult to injury, they lose Cooper cup. He's on the IR now. I mean, there's no point in him playing for the rest of the season, even though he's on the IR, like he can come back, but they're not going to be in a contending position. Uh, This is basically the season for the Rams. It is now like over at three and six. And listen, I picked this team to go and repeat in the Super Bowl. And I said this last week because I looked at the NFC and it looked weak and I didn't know who was going to emerge. And so I just sort of penciled the Rams back in. And that was clearly a mistake, but I did not expect it to be this bad. But with the injuries to Stafford, with the injury now to Cup. I mean, this thing is over. Like, is Aaron Donald going to retire at the end of the season? He talked about it last last year. He, he he discussed, he threatened retirement. Does he do it? Does John McVay walk away for TV money? I mean, like, things could change very quickly in L.A. Uh, at the end of this season, but certainly not uh, what we would have expected. I think you and I have both learned a lesson here, Dallin, because I, I put the Seahawks in the Super Bowl last year. That clearly did not go well. And you've put the Rams in the Super Bowl this year. That's clearly not going well. Let's just stay away from NFC West teams. 
<laughs> Let's just stay away from NFC West teams and, and we'll be OK. That's probably fair. Uh, I should stay away from the Pac-12 uh, and the NFC West. I guess the whole West Coast is just cursed is what you're saying, right? Pac-12, NFC West, just don't touch it. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's going to go bad. Um, Mitch, my uh, my most disappointing team this week, this was easy. Uh, it's, La- it's Las Vegas Raiders. They lost to a head coach who was coaching his first game at the collegiate NFL or any significant coaching level uh, at all in his first game. Uh, and they lost, they lost to the Colts. They lost at home 27 to 20. And uh, you know, Matt Ryan was the starter in this one. He should have been the starter all along. Forced the uh, Sam Ellinger into the starting lineup. It did not work. Matt Ryan comes in. He's 21 to 28, one touchdown, super efficient. Jonathan Taylor's back and he looked good and Colts get the win. The Raiders, this isn't even about the Colts because we talked about the Jeff Saturday thing. That's whatever. But the Raiders lost this game and there is no argument you could give me for why Josh McDaniel should still be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. There's not a single argument you could give me right now that would convince me why he should still be the head coach of this team. How is this not a two and seven? How this two and seven start? How is this not a massive, a huge disappointment to the point that you have to fire this guy to send the message that this is not acceptable? I don't know. I I don't think I've ever been more on board with anything you said <laughs> than right now. And I want to talk to Raiders fans about this because I've seen a lot of hate for Derek Carr. And you say, oh, we passed up Josh Allen. We passed up this guy. We passed up that. Well, the fact of the matter is, yeah, you did. And you didn't get that guy, but you got a good quarterback. You got a good quarterback. A good quarterback that hasn't had really any viable weapons to throw to until this year. Or let's say the last two years. He's never had defensive help. They've had Awful hires at the head coaching position. John Gruden looked like it was going to work out before the whole scandalous deal thing. Um, So I'll I'll give the exception with that. But Raiders fans, what you need to realize is that you need to pull your head out of your ass and realize that the quarterback is not the issue. It's your front office. This has been a failure by any Raiders GM. This has been a failure on Mark Davis's part. This has been an organizational disaster. It has nothing to do with the talent that's on the field. The defense, they suck, and that's not their fault. It's the fault of the Raiders' front office that they haven't put the people on the field that they need to put on the field. They haven't gone out and addressed that at all. Since 2002, the Raiders' defense has been terrible. This has nothing to do with the people that are playing on the field And if you're a Raiders fan and you're disagreeing with me right here, you're foolish. You've been fooled and you need to pull your head out of your literal ass (laughs) and realize that it is not the guys in the field that have failed you. It's the guys in the front office. And it's it's I, I cannot be clear about that. And it could. And at this point, at two and seven, it cannot be more obvious that it is the people in the front office that have failed the Raiders organization. Yeah. Listen, it, 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 it it's not Derek Carr guys. It's like, you're not just going to get a different quarterback and be in a fantastically different situation. You're just not. And it is, 
it is listen i saw this i didn't have high hopes this year i saw this coming i did not expect them to be horrible i did not expect them to be this. not two and seven no and again with the with trading for Devonte adams signing chandler jones to a big contract you're locked into you know big contract with you know so, some of these guys you're paying players you're wanting to contend and you start this new se- this season off with a new head coach at two and seven, a guy who has previous head coaching experience, who should be, you know, competent. I, there's there's no excuse. Why why is he still here? Why are we not making moves? Why are we not cutting bait? It is crazy. So the yeah, best Raiders, thing that the the best thing that the Raiders can do is Mark Davis sells the team. It yeah, needs to be yeah. out of the hand of the Davis family. That's really what it needs yep. to happen. And. You know, there needs to be some serious front office organizational moves made. Um, and it starts it's I mean, Davis would be a great, you know, it would be great if Mark Davis sold the team. But it starts with Josh McDaniels getting away from a head coaching job. He has no business being a head coach in the NFL. No, no. Jeff Absolutely. Saturday, who's never coached anything higher than high school football, was a better head coach than him on Sunday. Yeah. So. yeah, I mean, just frankly, that's that's just a fact of matter, and that is absurd. <laughs> that shit is stupid for the Raiders uh, right now. Uh, Mitch, overreaction of the week. I'll go first. Uh, my overreaction from this week of games, the Seattle Seahawks will not be making the playoffs. Uh, listen, mm. guys, it's been a fun run. It's been a blast. We love the story of the Seahawks this year, and – they lead the NFC rest right now by half a game, six and four. Niners are uh, five and four. Cardinals four and six, so two games back. But uh, I just I the the flaws uh, started to show for the Seahawks team. And as fun as they are, and as great as this young talent has played, uh, it was all gonna stop eventually. It wasn't gonna last forever, guys. This ride isn't for forever. It has a a, a term limit. And uh, I think it's coming to an end here. Uh, I think, it, it, you know, they might be close. They might sneak into that wild card still. They'll certainly be in that mix. But uh, I think at this point, you know, I, I, this this is a team that uh, is still a flawed roster, right? Some great young pieces, some things to be excited about on defense and on offense, but a an extremely flawed roster that will need to get better to compete week in and week out. And, uh, you know, deficiencies at quarterback and on the defense are going to, you know, hurt them down the stretch. So overreaction this week is the Seahawks will not be making the playoffs at the end of the season. I don't think that's an overreaction. I just don't agree with you, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I think that it's perfectly plausible that the Seahawks don't make the playoffs, but I also think it's equally as plausible that they do. Um you're right. They had some they had some weaknesses that were exposed. They played a Buccaneers team that was struggling over the last few weeks. Tom Brady still doesn't look like Tom Brady of old, and that should be to no one's surprise because he's just coming off divorce and he's 45 years old. And what do you expect out of a guy? Um, but you know, I I don't think it's an overreaction, but I also don't necessarily I'm not 100 percent on board, but I I yeah. see the path you're looking at here, so. Yeah, listen, I'd love for the Seahawks story to be that of a playoff team and making some noise. And listen, for my parents, uh, you know, the season ticket holders, you know, I'm rooting for them. Don't get me wrong. But like 
the way that's going to play out, this offense is not a 30 point a game offense like it was three or four weeks no. ago when they were in that stretch and we were all excited. And Gino, oh my gosh, what it's just not going to be that. And, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Wild, it's been fun. Wild card, te- wild card team at best. And then they Absolutely. have one fun, one fun round and that's it. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. What's your yeah, overreaction you. for this week, Mitch? I, I got that the Giants will place higher in the NFC East than the Cowboys. Oh. I think that, you know, there's just some years where teams win like 10 out of 11 one-score games. And the mm-hmm. Giants, are I think, are that team right now. Like, I think that they do that. And they're, they're certainly on pace to do that right now. They just won another one-score game against the Texans. I think that they'll they'll get enough done to beat the Cowboys in that NFC East. Now, I think that there's three playoff teams that come out of the NFC East, right? So the Eagles, the Cowboys, and then the Giants. I think what can go wrong will go wrong still for the Dallas Cowboys Mm. and that they're not utilizing the rushing attack the way that they should. Dak Prescott is not a 45, 50 attempt guy game. He's not even a 40 attempt a guy game. You have to lean on Tony Pollard, whatever you can get out of Zeke Elliott um, and trust the defense to play as as good as it can. And the, the Giants are just finding ways to get it done. Uh, Coach of the year, Brian Dable, is is continuing to lead this Giants team to really, really tight wins. And I think the Giants will continue to do that throughout the rest of the year. And they might wind up with a better record than the Cowboys when it's all said and done. Yeah, right now they're a game up, right? Seven and two record for New York, six and three for Dallas. And I I get where you're going here. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say it's a bit of an overreaction because of this, Mitch. The New York Giants have the toughest remaining schedule in the NFL for the last uh, portion of the season. And large part due to the fact that they have only played one game in division up until this point of the season. Right. So they've got all those divisional and that was a loss to Dallas. So they've got two games against the commanders who are what, five and five right now. Five, playing five good and five football on the slate. season. Yeah. And so they're not going to be an easy out, even if they're not a playoff team, great team. They've got two games against the Eagles and another game against Dallas. And those five games right there are going to determine what the Giants become at the end of the season. Are they, you know, 11 plus win, solid wild card team, you know, maybe putting some heat on the Eagles as far as the division race? Or are they, Third best team, nine wins, you know, maybe they get that final wild card spot and and the second half of the season was disappointing. I think it's going to be closer to the latter uh, because, again, the way that that schedule plays out, uh, you know, that's the that's going to be a tough stretch. And then mixed into that, you got to go on the road at Minnesota. You get the Colts and then the Lions. Those are the other matchups they have left on the season. So not not an easy schedule. But the way that this plays out, Dallas already two and one in division, Philly already two and one in division, Giants 0-1 right now. So that would be my only worry about the Giants moving forward. But they've certainly put themselves in the position with that seven and two record uh, to be in the playoffs. Just a matter of where they sort of shake out uh, in those in the standings. I 100 percent get it. And to be quite honest. A little introspective here. I knew it was an overreaction. I just love overreacting to the Giants because <laughs> I love seeing us. I, I love being I love seeing Brian Dable's success and Saquon Barkley's yep. success and seeing that. 
Um, I couldn't give two shits about Daniel Jones, but right. you know, I, I, I love seeing the success that they're having. And so yeah. I know it was a little bit overreaction, but I'm going to stand by it. I'm going to stand okay. by that. That's okay. One. Yeah. So. I like it. I like it. Mitch, our MVPs of the week, we chose teammates here. So I kind of want to do these together because we chose some Minnesota Vikings out here. Uh, and I wanted to give mine to Justin Jefferson, uh, who in this, who had a huge game against the bills, 10 receptions, 193 yards and one touchdown, including one of the best, ca- the best catch of the year. One of the best catches you'll see in an NFL I, game. I don't that know how he held on to reception that where he catches it with one arm behind his head and pulls in possession while the defender behind him has two hands on the ball. And yet Justin Jefferson in his one hand is enough to pull in that catch when his team absolutely needed it the most. And that's what makes this catch so impressive. Yes, it was an impressive catch, but this is the Vikings formula. It was like this all game. It's been like this all season. Third down, fourth down, need a play. Who does Kirk go to? Best player, Justin Jefferson. Throw it up there. Jefferson will make a play. And he did that all game against Buffalo. And he did it right there in the biggest moment when they needed it. He was incredible. Uh, man, I mean, I said this earlier, but he's the best play- He's the best wide receiver in the NFL. He is already the best wide receiver in the NFL. He's proven that this year. Uh, he has been incredible. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you. I mean, the, the, the guy's fantastic. He's fantastic. He makes more big plays than anyone else in the league. Yeah. I think the reason that I, and obviously the, the one handed grab is an, is an all time catch. I mean, it's, it's all time. I think I went Kirk Cousins here and look, the numbers don't point to Kirk Cousins being an MVP. Yeah, he threw for 357, but he was one touchdown and two interceptions. I think what Kirk Cousins did on that final drive to get him down into field goal range, he put balls in spots that elite quarterbacks do. It wasn't really a performance that you would as a cat, you know, as a casual football fan, knowing who Kirk Cousins is, wouldn't expect out of Kirk Cousins. He put the ball in only places that his receivers could catch the ball. He was locked in from that fourth quarter on, really. I mean, through through overtime was the the most spectacular part of his play. But um, from that fourth quarter on, he really put the ball in places that only his receivers could get it. And when you have a guy like Justin Jefferson that can go up and make the catch, that makes those throws that much more valuable. So that's where I give the slight edge to Kirk Cousins. Justin Jefferson was fantastic. Um, absolutely a guy. The most you said the best wide receiver, also the most clutch wide receiver in making the big mm. catches when he needs to do it. Um, but I give the slight edge to Kirk Cousins purely based on the fact of he made big time throws in big time moments when he needed to. And that's what really got the job done. Um, his, it, he was just lucky that he had the wide receivers that he had to get yeah. that thing done. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. Listen, you know, I, I agree with you. Kirk has been the butt of many a joke and some of it's justified and some of it's not, but uh, you know, seeing him with an offensive head coach, we haven't seen him 
in this sort of system since when since the Washington days when he was with the Shanahan tree and a lot of these right. head coaches and assistants that we see now all across the NFL who had a lot of success with Kirk Cousins as a fourth, fifth round pick or whatever he was. And that was very unexpected. And then he went to Minnesota with Mike Zimmer and Mike Zimmer is a great coach, but he's not an offensive mind. He's not an offensive uh, push in the boundaries. You bring in Kevin O'Connell from that Rams uh, system. And now you're seeing what it, uh, what a great offensive mind could do with a quarterback like Kirk Cousins. And I think it's bringing out the best in him. And, and you'll love to see that. I hope he gets some great opportunities in the postseason for some big moments because I think he's capable. I really do. Uh, yeah, he, he is. He is so capable. He just has to be given the opportunity. Yeah. And I think he has that right now. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, Big L, who gets the Big L this week? The big L is Russell Wilson, hmm. and I am going to stake my claim as a big Russell Wilson fan. Russell Wilson is washed. He's done. Oh, <laughs> OK. He's done. OK, this was the this was the worst career move. Russell Wilson has been a part of. Um, I don't have any faith in the wide receiver core that's around him. I don't have faith in the coaching around him. And quite honestly, Russell Wilson looks like a completely different player. We went, we, we saw in Seattle when he didn't have top tier weapons around him, him able to make it work, him able to make, you know, him able to get it done. Russell Wilson always found a way. He's not that guy anymore. And I don't know if that's just, you know, wearing tread on the tires or or he's or he, his mindset has changed once he came to Denver. I don't know what exactly it is, but he's washed. He's washed. And I don't know if I have a whole lot of faith he can pull himself out of this right now. It's it's really disappointing to see what he's doing in Denver. Yeah. Wow. All right. Write it down, folks. Mitch called it November 2022. Russell Wilson's washed. We'll see how it plays out with Russ. I mean, obviously disappointing. And I mean, he just has frankly not looked good this year. But I do think oftentimes when a new player goes to a different situation and doesn't look the same, uh, I don't think he just talent wise physically just got worse this offseason for no reason. Uh, I think it's surroundings i think it's the situation now you know what responsibility does he bear into this you know is it the play caller is it the system is it the players around him you know we may never know how that fully shakes out but uh i i, I get i get it it is it has been rough and the denver team that had so much expectations and you know, we saw the the roster and it was like, OK, yeah, you know, you kind of just plug Russ in and it should be good. Right. And I think we saw Tom Brady go to Tampa and was like, yeah, that'll work. You just get good quarterbacks. You put them on other teams and they continue to be good quarterbacks. And it just doesn't work like that. Ninety percent of success in, 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 in the NFL feels like is just where you end up fit. Right. How good is the team around you? You end up with the right people at the right time. And. You know, maybe that's the situation here in Denver. Uh, maybe it's something else. But, uh, yeah, big L's for Denver this year. Big L's for Russell Wilson, who still doesn't have more touchdown passes than bathrooms in his new home. 
12 bathrooms in his new home, and he has seven touchdown passes on the season. Yeah, disappointing. I love that. I love that. More shitters than touchdown passes. Yeah, uh, my big L <clears throat> goes to undefeated seasons. Uh, the big L to the undefeated season as the Eagles uh, suffered their first loss on Monday night, officially go to eight and one, eight and zero in the season. Uh, that's the leader for the uh, the final undefeated team. This is something we talked about uh, earlier in the year on this podcast. And the average uh, per year over the last twenty years for a team's record when they suffer their first loss, Mitch, seven point seven and zero. So the Eagles are right on track there. Eight games, and then they uh, get that first loss. So uh, big L to the undefeated season. The Miami Dolphins of 1972 can breathe easy. Uh, the record's intact. Yep. I mean, like we said, there's there's fewer fewer undefeated teams than we thought there would be, but um, right on track with where we thought they might get their first win, their first loss, excuse me. Yep. So, yeah. Absolutely. So. All right, Mitch, let's uh, that's going to do it for our week 10 recap. Let's ramp up the podcast here with our quick picks. And to look back at last week, uh, disappointing week for both of us, six and eight on the week under 500. That is no bueno. Uh, for no bueno. Season, no bueno. That puts Mitch at 85, 66 and one on the season. I am 72 or 79, 72 and one, six games back in our picks and we'll uh we'll try again this week and at least just try to break 500 right that's the goal man just, just don't don't suck less is where yes. we're at right now suck less let's try sucking less mitch and let's start on thursday night football the tennessee titans are headed to lambo can green bay and aaron Rodgers continue to build on that win last week or is the season and any hopes for the playoffs shot i say the hopes stay alive another week green bay gets the win on amazon prime on thursday night i say yes as well give me the pack over the Titans leaving Music City heading over to Lambeau Field. Give me the Packers in this one on Thursday night. Following that game, the beginning of the morning slate on Sunday, my Chicago Bears are headed down to Hotland to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Give me the Bears in this one. Bear Don, you got to be crazy if you think I'm not taking my Bears. Justin Fields on pace right now to set the quarterback single season rushing record. Let's go, Bears. Bear down, give it the Bears. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of running the ball in this game between the Bears and the Falcons. It'll be quarterback runs. It'll be running back runs. It's got to be a lot of run game, but I'm going to roll with Atlanta in this one. Should be a tight You hater! The Falcons look kind of good. They look sneaky good. This should be a good game. Should be a close one. Uh, it'll be pretty competitive, but yeah, I'm going to roll with the ATL at home and this one mitch following that the philadelphia eagles look to bounce back after their first loss of the season they're headed to indy to take on jeff saturday and the colts can saturday continue uh his undefeated record as a head coach uh no philly's gonna get the win and they're probably gonna put it on big after this disappointing monday night loss i'm taking the eagles yeah, good first week for Jeff Saturday. Get the win under his belt, but it doesn't continue. Give me the <laughs> Eagles to get this done in Indianapolis. Fly, Eagles, fly. I like the birds in this one. 
following that game, the Jets, the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 leaving the Big Apple. They're headed up to New England to take on the New England Patriots. Um, give me the Jets on the road. I think that uh, there, there's still some fight in this team. They, they had a lot of injuries. There's still a lot of fight in this team. I like the Jets to get it done over the Patriots on the road. Yeah, I'm taking the Jets in this one too, Mitch. These teams played a few weeks ago, uh, and this was that very bad Zach Wilson game with three interceptions, and the defense for the Jets showed up as they have all year, but Zach was uh, just stifled by Bill Belichick and that defense. But I think we get a measure of revenge this week. I know I'm not saying Zach's going 303 touchdowns by any means, but he will be better. This offense will be more efficient, and they're going to get the win on the road. I'm rolling with the Jets in Foxborough. Mitch, following that, the Commanders are headed down to Houston to take on the Houston Texans. I've rolled with them a couple times, and they haven't done me well, but maybe this is the week. Washington a little excited after the win? Maybe they're maybe they're getting ahead of themselves here after beating the Eagles. Give me the Texans at home. You fool! No, it's not going to happen to the Texans. It's not getting it done. Give me the commanders on the road in Houston. I Look, Houston's so bad, man. I know they've flamed know. you a few times. I don't know why you're rolling with Houston. but I don't know why either. To, to each their own, I guess. You you just do you, boo. Um, I, like, I like the commanders on the road. Following that game, we got the Rams there leaving the City of Angels and headed down to the Big Easy to take on the New Orleans Saints. Donald, this is going to be a bad game. This is going to be a bad game. I don't like this matchup at all. In fact, this might have been the toughest one to pick because I didn't know who was shittier, but I am taking the Rams on the road in New Orleans to get it done. Give me the Rams. We both picked the Rams, Mitch, and they're going to probably throw out John Walford and there's no Cooper Cup. And it's like... This game sucks, dude. Is that not the biggest indictment of the New Orleans Saints that we both picked the Rams in this one? Look, I I know we have a garbage game of the week. Can we have two? Can we have two? Yeah, we make the rules here. Can we have two garbage games? Okay, play it. Play it. This is just this is just hot garbage. Straight hot garbage. You're a garbage person. I mean, this game stinks, dude. This game yeah, stinks. This, this game's awful. Don't watch this one. Uh, but yeah, somehow we both picked John Walford and the Rams. So there you go. Uh, Mitch, following, following that game. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are leaving the city of Cleveland, and they're headed to upstate New York to take on the Buffalo Bills in what is expected to be three to six feet of snow on Sunday. That'll be fun. You love winter oh, football, Mitch. Gotta love it. And because of this, I am taking the Browns on the road. If anything helps the Browns against the Bills, it's a game where you have to run the ball. The Browns can do that at a high level. Can the Bills match that for a full game with Devin Singletary and Naheem Hines and James Cook? I don't know. So if the weather's going to be that bad and it's got to be a pounded game, I'm rolling with Cleveland. You know what? I don't hate that pick. I don't hate that pick at all. And I just want to take a second to bask in the glory of winter football once more because, <laughs> God, we're playing. I mean, and what a snow matchup. Buffalo yeah. and Cleveland. It's two perfect. gritty, 
two gritty northern teams battling it out in the snow. I love it. This is like a classic snow matchup. I'm going to take the Bills. They're the better team. I love the Browns in this one. I'm not taking the Browns. The Brownies are in a bad spot. I'm taking the Bills. Bills at home in Buffalo. Following that game, Dallin, your Carolina Panthers. They're leaving the state of Carolina. They're heading over to the nation's capital to take on, well, close to the nation's capital. They're taking on the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Look, I, I would love to tell you, keep counting. I would love to tell you that. I'm not doing it! I'm taking the Ravens. Ravens at home over the Panthers. The fly Ravens fly. I don't know if that works, but I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna say it anyway. Give me the Ravens at home. I don't know what their uh, slogan is. I'm not uh, I'm not that tuned in to Ravens fan. Yeah, me neither. Uh, yeah, I am rolling with Baltimore in this one. Uh, at it's home. probably some it's probably some stupid Edgar Allan Poe quote. Oh, that's all. It, yeah, that's it. Dark and brooding or something. Yeah. It, yeah, something like that. I'm rolling with Lamar. I'm rolling with the Ravens. I uh, love Lamar. my Panthers, but uh, yeah, we're not a good team. That's okay. I want to hashtag Tyson tank for Bryce Young, so I'm fine with it. <laughs> Bitch. Final game of the morning slate. The Detroit Lions are headed to the Meadowlands to take on the New York Giants. The team uh, we, we, we spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about. One of the biggest surprises of this year. Can the Giants keep the winning going? I'm rolling with Detroit. I'm rolling with the Lions. They've just kind of been competitive all year, and they've won some, and they've lost some, and, you know, they, it's kind of gone, uh, you know, back and forth for them, as it should. They're not a great team, but I think they get one here. I think they put up enough offense in this game that they that they get one on the road. I, I, I'd I have to listen back, but I think you've picked Detroit an alarming amount of times. Like, Probably. I feel like you I feel like you picked Detroit the fighting a Dan lot. Campbell's. I, 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 yeah, I, I can't get behind that, man. Give me the G-Men at home. I, I can't get behind the Lions on the road against the Giants or seven and two. You kidding me? I can't do that. Can't do it. Give me the Giants at home. Dallin, uh, this is the other game we talked about being garbage game of the week. And I think we should hit that right now. This is just, this is just hot garbage. Straight hot garbage. You're a garbage person. Yeah, this game sucks too, but I'm going to take the Raiders in a, uh, 16 to 14 matchup. Close. Yes, this, Low this scoring. Raiders, this sucks. Raiders Broncos. Raiders Broncos in this one. Sorry. And, Raiders uh, Broncos. You're rolling with the Raiders? I'm, more, I'm rolling, rolling with, with the, the Raiders. Raiders. This is the uh, this is the who gets fired first bowl. Mitch, that's, that's what this is. This is the who gets fired first bowl between Josh McDaniels and Nathaniel Hackett here. Uh, and I... He talked about me taking Detroit an alarming amount of times. This is a team I've taken an alarming amount of times. And here I am yet doing it again. I'm rolling with Denver. Uh, But to to my defense here, they're also playing a two-win Raiders team. So if there was any week where it made sense to pick the Broncos, this might be the only one. I'm I'm thinking it's like a 14-13 game. I don't think it'll be a great one, but uh, I guess someone's got to win. Yeah. Can we pick a tie? We could pick a tie. Never, We never tried, but... I'm not doing that. Would you get a? I guess you'd get a point if they tied, but you, that's, you get a win if you picked a tie, which is weird. So I don't that's like that. dumb. Yeah, no, we're not gonna yeah. do that. Yeah, I'll roll with Denver. I like that. Mitch, good matchup. Uh, Minnesota, uh, after you know, big matchup against Buffalo, they're gonna host the Dallas Cowboys. 
Sunday afternoon and what is, you know, it's got some implications in the NFC uh, playoff race. I'm going to roll with the Vikings to continue the winning at home. Should be a great game. Dallas certainly capable of winning this one, but uh, I am going to roll with Minnesota at home. Minnesota riding high after that nail biter against the Bills. I like Minnesota as well. Minnesota's get, Minnesota gets it done against the Cowboys. Following that game, Cincinnati, they are leaving the second best city in the state of Ohio. And they're headed over to Steel Country to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Give me the Bengals on the road. Team's still on the rise. They're going to be a wild card team. I like Cincinnati in this one over Pittsburgh. Yeah, the Steelers got a uh, got a, got a win last. I was going to say impressive, but it was against the Saints, so we're just going to call it a win. Uh, but they got, they got a win last week, and that's good for Kenny Pickett in his young career. But uh, yeah, Joe Burrow is going to get him here. Uh, rebuilding year for Pittsburgh. Give me Cincinnati on the road Sunday night football, Mitch, and we got the Kansas City Chiefs headed to L.A. Los Angeles to take on the Los Angeles Chargers at SoFi Stadium. It'll be a packed house of Chiefs fans. I'm rolling with Kansas City on the road. This Chargers team is just too banged up. And that is the story of the Chargers every year, it seems like. Uh, They're too banged up to be as good as we thought they were going to be. So, unfortunate for L.A., but I'm rolling with Mahomes. Yeah, Chargers have embarrassed me for the last time. I just might just pick him and lose out the rest of the season. Um, Give me the the Chiefs in this one. Uh, Dallin, Monday night. Monday night football in Mexico City, like we had talked about earlier in the podcast. We are going international again on yep, this week, and we're going to Mexico City on Monday night. The San Francisco 49ers are taking on the Arizona Cardinals. I, I, I know this team's been hovering around 500 the entire year, but I still really like this Niners team. I think they're super tough, and I think that they get this one done in Mexico over the Arizona Cardinals. Give me the Niners. Yeah, yeah, the, you know, love the Mexico game. Play this at Estado Azteca in Mexico City. 87,000 seats in that uh, in that stadium, so great atmosphere. I'm going to roll with Arizona. I'm going to roll with Arizona in this one. Kyler Murray maybe plays, still questionable, likely Colt McCoy in this one, but, you know, maybe some positive momentum bouncing off of the last week's win and uh, an Arizona team that at 4-6, and six, you know, if they're going to have any shot at the playoffs now that they have DeAndre Hopkins back, it's now. It's do or die time, and they got to get some wins and a very important one on Monday night against a division rival. So I say Arizona backs against the wall, keep the season alive, get the win on Monday night. All right. All right, that's going to do it for our quick picks, Mitch, and that's going to do it for the podcast. Again, appreciate you guys hanging out sticking around, listening, as you do. We really appreciate it. If you haven't already, check out the social uh, media channels. The Twitter is at Sports Hour Guys. Instagram at The Sports Hour Guys. The TikTok is at The Sports Hour Guys. You can also follow me on Twitter at Dallin Graff. Check out the website, thesportshourguys.wordpress.com. Mitch, remind the people about Anchor. Anchor is the only place that you can become a permanent part of the conversation. Go on anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a permanent part of the conversation. It's that simple guys. Go on there, leave us a voice message, ask whatever you want. 
any question doesn't have to be sports related. Whatever you want answered here, we will play it live on the Sports Hour and we will get your question answered. That's once again anchor.fm slash the sports hour. Guys, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. If you look up the Sports Hour, guys, you will find us there. Get on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating review. Tell us that we suck because, Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. It is the only way that we can get better. And as you uh, have seen in the title, as you've listened today, episode 148, just a couple away from 150, we uh, will have some fun. We'll, we'll have some fun at 150. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll uh, you'll have to look forward to that a couple episodes from now. We'll have some we'll have some fun time to celebrate that milestone and uh, this great time of the year and a uh, great time uh, for sports. Love the NFL college football season coming to a close here in a couple weeks, a conclusion at least before uh, bowl season in the college football playoffs. So we'll look forward to that. So that's about it. That's that's all she wrote. That's today, all we got. Folks. That's, that's all we that's got. All, that's all the time we've got uh, to give today. So until next time, we love you. We appreciate you. And we will catch you next week. See ya. See ya.